Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. And welcome to podcast like it's 2009 uh, a podcast for one off podcast. We talk about the a film from 2009 that you our Patreon subscribers voted for here from a cookout in 2021. I'm one of your hosts, Kenny Nybart. And I'm Phil Liscove. And with us today is uh, is the, the the you know, one of the great podcast guests of all it time, the podcast host. Yep. Griffin Newman, um, who who beat some really strong contenders to show up here today. But I do think the allure of Griffin plus um, a Fast and the Furious movie is too much. Because when are you ever going to hear Griffin talk about Fast and Furious? It never Except happens. For, it never happens. It, it never happens. And also, I want to make it clear, not, not only did I beat some uh, uh, strong contenders, uh, past uh, favorites of your listeners uh, for this episode to happen, I also beat the threat of a chronic liver illness to be here today. Yes, yes. true. It was, there were several reschedulings while I waited to be told that I'm not going to die. So uh, I'm on Take the that, mend. Clay Keller. <laughs> F9 has come out in theaters. Uh, the movies are back. They are back. It's, it's a perfect time to talk about uh, Ampersand, as I like to call this movie. And obviously, Griffin, we're, obvi- we're very happy that things seem to be good uh, with your... Medical physical. situation yes, sure. and the box office and the box office and the, box office. And the, the box, box office is the back. movies are back. The it was a Lin Manuel Miranda problem, but not an American box exactly. Office problem. That was the, it was it was a little bit dicey there for a moment. It was like, yes. is this just on L M or is this a a a, a, a medium wide issue, but a, a robust yes. seventy million domestic? Not just the biggest opening weekend since the pandemic, but do you guys know this? 
the biggest opening weekend since the rise of Skywalker. That's pretty wow. crazy. So That's even the crazy. the three months uh, between that and the pandemic. So That's, yes, yeah, so go ahead. Go ahead. I, I want to focus this mm-hmm. conversation on the seventy million dollars. Those of you, those of you who haven't listened to Griffin and David's um, John Singleton series, mm-hmm. obviously listen to the whole thing. But he does a they do a great episode on Too Fast, Too Furious mm-hmm. with John Gabrus. And then um, I've done three Fast and Furious episodes of Gabrus's podcast, High and yes. Mighty. And okay. about to go back for a fourth time to do F9 with him. So you've so that's done if, seven, eight, Hobbs and Shaw, and you're about to do nine. Correct. Six, seven, seven, eight, Hobbs and Shaw, two, four. I mean, two. this is the thing. The order in which I've done the Fast and Furious movie across it's, different podcasts is very similar to the chronology of this franchise. Justin Lin would be proud. Yes. Right. Yes, yes. Right. So I've never talked about one or Tokyo Drift or six anywhere. Can I've just, done seven, eight Hobbs and Shaw on High and Mighty. I've done Too Fast on Blank Check. And then this is now doing ampersand on, on podcasts like it's 1999. So, yeah. so I, what I, oh, so, just real fast, what I want to yeah. do is I want to talk about ampersand, mm-hmm. obviously. Obviously. Right. Um, and I also want to talk about the franchise uh, at large. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and because Phil and I, are relatively new to this franchise, mm-hmm. right? I only became a super fan uh, this morning. So right. you have you have a black Toretto work shirt, which is canon, but it's 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 kind of secondary to the light blue Toretto. That's right. Work that's shirt. right. You got you got the, yes. the San Diego Chargers baby blue, right? Lance Alston going on, and I'm he, sitting look, here. Look, he wears the black one, man. but yeah, it, he, but. It's not the hero shirt. Let's say. Anybody, anybody yeah. could pick up a black one at any five no. and dime in the That's city. True. No, I got this because uh, because my history with Fast and Furious mm-hmm. is that during the pandemic, I was looking for something to watch with my nine year old son who's seen every movie. So oh, we wow. just ran the, we ran the series. Yeah, he became very obsessed. Yeah, he became obsessed with uh, with Paul Walker, which you know became kind of a problem. Rough for us. Yeah, problem. Wow. And, wow. Yeah, and we. Uh, and we wound up going as, you know, as Brian and Dom on Halloween. So that's how this came wow. into my life. Okay. Does he have a favorite? Does uh, Rollins have a favorite? Is, is, uh, oh, oh. Uh, I'm a curious. Favorite, uh, well, look, he's a, uh, he's a nine-year-old boy. Mm-hmm. Sure. And the first one he saw was Hobbs and Shaw. And Hobbs okay. and Shaw is his favorite. <laughs> sure, sure. Okay. okay. So I don't hold that at, against him. That's <laughs> after, after that, uh, he, we just saw Nine uh, in the theater and he was crazy about that. Mm-hmm. And I think his next favorite is the first one. So, you sure. know, who, yeah. who knows what this who knows? kid is up to? Who knows? Yeah. But, yeah. Do you know what's the thing I really, uh, and look, we're gonna, this is going to be a very focused conversation. Yo, 100%. Today. Yeah, very focused. Uh, uh, Kenny has a heart out. Um, <laughs> but um, I, I think I've been thinking about it a lot because it is the season, right? We're in Fast mm-hmm. and Furious season. The new movies just come out, but it also means that there's a lot being written about it. There's a lot being discussed. A lot of podcasters are revisiting these movies or one of these movies or whatever. There's just sort of like uh, the reevaluation that happens, I, I feel like, anytime one of these movies come out. And one of the things I love about these movies is that they very much feel like a, a living text. And that I find when I rewatch them, my rankings constantly change. Interesting. And it's not just because of where I'm at, but I think it also has to do with as things change in the industry at large and also 
this weird piecemeal, like organic mythology that they build out of dirt means that sometimes a piece comes in at nine that retroactively makes four better. You know, like the, yeah. there's this constant like push and, and pull of it. Yeah. But the other thing I, I want to say to this end is I really think that Fast and Furious has to be the least toxic fandom in existence now. That's interesting. I, I'm I'm trying to hold back from my hyperbolic argument, which is, is it the only purely non-toxic fandom? But but I think I could comfortably say it's it's the least toxic fandom because people are very passionate, are very invested, mm-hmm. and you have different silos of different people who appreciate it in different ways, different types of fans, people who've been there since the beginning, who have a very earnest investment, people who enjoy it in a kind of ironic postmodern way, who came on late, who have just binged it in the last year like you, Kenny. But I don't feel like there's any gatekeeping. I, I truly do not feel like there's ever that kind of territorial attitude. And I also think I have found that like every Fast and Furious fan respects every other Fast and Furious fan's ranking. Like people can feel very strongly about like this is the worst one yeah. and this is the best one, but it never becomes like fuck your mom, I'm gonna piss on your grave. <laughs> you, did, shit. You, you did just prove that by respecting Rollins' ranking, that, my son. But that's that's my point. But, like I yeah. fundamentally disagree with that, but I'm not gonna tell your son he's wrong because I do think these movies like it's a there's such a wide variety of what they encompass at this point tonally narratively genre all this sort of shit so that's like to some degree it's like what's the thing in this franchise you like the most i can't tell you you're wrong so you're you're hitting on a lot of stuff i do want to talk about yeah because this is the turnkey movie i mean that's yes this is this is the movie yeah yeah. so it's and and, and, you know i think we I've seen I've seen one a ton of times, right? Mm-hmm. Because that's that came out when I was in high school, and that right. meant something to me, right? It, it so was I've it seen, was a culturally impactful movie. That movie made a really big splash when it came out. Yeah, yeah. and 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 it was a good movie and a cool movie, and it mm-hmm. felt right at that moment. That moment when you were, um, you know, I was a I was a junior in high school, and it, yeah, I was thirteen, it, I think I was twelve or thirteen, yeah. but but similar, right? Like, oh, this seems like a cool adult world. But also, like nothing that we're going to be uh, following any further. This is a absolutely. This is, this is this is a movie, right? And it's a movie, and we can rent it at Blockbuster, and then the movie with the silly title comes out, and you're all everyone's a little embarrassed about that you right. even like the first movie because it's of the silly title. It's a huge hit. Everyone huge. goes to see it. Everyone dislikes it. Like I feel like it's a movie that has mm-hmm. an almost immediate bad reputation, despite the fact that it like outgrosses the first one. Mm-hmm. And as shown by just how much fucking the industry has changed, Universal's like, okay, I guess like we got to take the L and downsize to like a $30 million movie with no proven stars. Which right? is super embarrassing. But super yeah. embarrassing. Now, I remember that, but that was the, the, like an era where you just the, would yeah. go like, I guess we give up and we just accept yeah. that this is like a C-tier franchise now. But, but both the, uh, the meta narrative you're talking about, mm-hmm. as well as, you know, putting out Fast and Furious colon tokyo drift yeah was an embarrassing move for the franchise it, it, right in that in that it 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 brought it to this like 
this this you know direct to video space. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, even though it wasn't a direct to video movie, but it mm-hmm. seems like a direct to video movie. Um, that, and and it, you know this almost becomes a direct to video movie. Like that was one we're talking about the no. coin toss. I mean, not this script as it exists, right? But, but the a, coin but a toss. Fourth Fast and Furious movie post Tokyo Drift was: Do we go fast direct to video, or do we do one final movie with the original cast? And even with the original cast, it was maybe we just make this a big budget direct to video thing. Like it, so, it was that liminal. So I remember <laughs> when the ad for this film came uh-huh. out during the Super Bowl. Uh-huh. Uh, the first time. And, and you're it's funny because you're you're smiling. And and I had that same I, I mean, too, I was gonna was, bring this up if you didn't bring it up, because I, I feel like the I, moment I first saw the ad for this movie is very important for me. <laughs> I agree with you because yeah. I I think I watched the game with my dad. And mm-hmm. what was so weird about that moment was it it unlocked something in me I didn't know existed. Thank you. It was how yep. much <laughs> I loved these four people together. You're taking the and, words out of my mouth. And again, yes. and, and again, Griff, like, yeah. thank, I feel great about this whole thing right now, but again, yeah. these are not four people, with the exception of Jordana Brewster, a little bit because I love the faculty. Mm-hmm. But these are not four people that I had any love for. Correct. I thought I had own. no fondness for... These actors, these characters, or this franchise. I saw one in theaters. It worked for me. I will say, as I've said many times on Blank Check, my mom dropped my brother and I off at the movie theater. It's the week before we both got shipped off to summer camp. It's like, here's the last movie you get to see in theaters for the summer. What do you want to see? I put all fucking chips down on Dr. Doolittle 2, and my little Mm -hmm. brother won the argument with Fast and Furious. I went, why am I going to go see this car shit, right? I walk over, I go, that was better than I thought. <laughs> right, I don't love it. I'm not like in the tank, but I was this like... Is one. This is one. Yeah, right? I was like, that's, yes. that's, that's pretty entertaining. Vin Diesel, pretty undeniable. I think we all walked out of that first one. You go like, I've never seen anyone like this guy before. Yeah. His name's Vin Diesel. He sounds like that. That's an interesting movie star. He runs his goodwill into the ground pretty yeah. quickly after that. Yeah, Most of does. Paul Walker's immediate follow-ups, not good. Too Fast, Too Furious, skipped in theaters. I just went, like, if Vince's not in this, I don't really care. Mm-hmm. This just looks like Car Cops 2. Like, not what I need out of this but franchise. But what's a hit? Was a hit. What was a hit? But yeah. it, 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 it felt like, and this is a hard thing about watching the yeah. Fast and Furious movies now. It was the worst of the 90s. It was the worst of yes. MTV. It was, Look, and, and not that the yeah. movie's bad. In retrospect, it's almost tame. In, in retrospect, it, I think there's a lot that works in it. But I think yeah. fundamentally the script for that movie sucks. And absolutely feels like they took a Miami Vice script and just did one pass to work in one of the pre-existing characters from this hit movie. Like, it feels like that kind of, like, Simon says, like, fuck, we need another John John McClane movie. What if John McClane's in this spec script we bought? Right. Um, My favorite movie. (laughs) Can I ask a a question, though? This ad, the Super Bowl ad that you guys are referring to, I don't remember. So can you, what was in it? Oh, oh, Phil, I'm, I'm teeing up. Sorry. Tokyo Tokyo Drift I see in theaters, but it was very much a friend and I want to go see a movie, go to the theater, what's playing? I guess we could go see this. I was not enthused about it. Oh, right. that was fun. Like, that was right. fun. But I don't think I have any investment in this franchise. My, me and my friends wouldn't have been caught dead. Absolutely. In the Tokyo Absolutely. Drift Theater. Now, my distinct memory is going to see, I want to say, Death Race. I don't know if this is a false memory because it's a different car movie. But I remember seeing this teaser in the theaters for the first time. And the teaser is, it's it's a, a strategy I always love in movie marketing, which is build your trailer around just one sequence. 
immerse us in a thing and go like, ooh, that's a good taste. I want to I want to stay in that in that river, right? So the <laughs> the teaser trailer as I remember it is just the opening right. gas heist sequence from this movie, but they cut around it so you too. weren't yeah. seeing actor faces. So you're just mm. dropped into this thing without dialogue, just kind of clean car heist action, right? And uh-huh. then I remember there being the reveal of Letty turns around, it's Michelle Rodriguez, reverse shot, it's Vin in the car looking at her. And then there's maybe like five seconds of quick cuts of other shots or not. The only thing I remember definitively is it it goes like Diesel, Walker, Brewster, Rodriguez, and then says Fast Ampersand Furious, new model, original parts. And I get goosebumps just (laughs) saying that out loud. But it's exactly what you're talking about, Kenny, where I went, new model, original parts. Why do I care? Like, it immediately got to me. I knew the movie was happening. I had heard it. I went, great. Okay, go make your fourth fucking movie. I don't give a shit. The second that, A, the, the shot reverse shot of the two of them back where they belong in this franchise, Rodriguez and diesel right who really are the temperature setters for what these movies are mm-hmm. and then that fucking tagline i was like you're right i guess this is important that's how it felt and then the other little stroke of genius yes that people so these titles kind of i, I think you've spoken about this that how brilliant all these titles every are. single how- title is you know in comedy you talk about games right you try to isolate the game and identify a really clear game that you can play over and over again david s pumpkins he's going to introduce some new weird fact about himself and the people in the elevator confused the game of the fast and furious titles is that every title has a different game the game is that there's no game that they cannot (laughs) stick to any sort of pattern for how these sequel titles go which is which is great. Which, which is, is part like, of the, which the is chaotic the, beauty of this whole thing. God, it, that's and yes. and and yes. you really do start to get the feeling because even that, that moment when when that title comes up in the teaser trailer, Fast Ampersand Furious, you just go, you can't fucking do that. But <laughs> that's son what I'm of a bitch, at. I'm in. That's what I'm getting at. That's what I'm getting at. It's, because I remember so, it being so, titled yes. like Untitled Fast and Furious Four, and I was like, yes. okay, I feel like yes. that teaser was the first time I saw that title, and I simultaneously was outraged and amped <laughs> i was and i and I'll, I'll tell you the, the, the you're i think you're giving maybe I, I believe that you were amped yeah i think you're almost giving amped too much credit i look i, I, was, I was not like gobsmacked. i was not like phantom menace amped but i was like fuck i guess i'm gonna go I see that gobsmacked i was just i was I, that to me was the most revolutionary part about it was Fucking dropping the articles yeah. and calling it Fast and Furious. Is that I legal? Believe they were <laughs> right. just like I can't right. believe they're fucking just calling the new Suicide Squad the Suicide Squad. Yes. But also, like it's been done. Like I know what you're doing. Done. Now Everett, now it's the fucking Wolverine. Like it's been done. Yeah, I know you the Dark Knight. This was yes. this was 2009. This makes no fucking sense. And it's they, also one of those they, things. Where out loud, it is so hard to differentiate between which title you're talking about. Which I appreciate so, you you bringing ampersand. I call it ampersand. Yeah. I don't like stealing it from you, but it is the right 
think no, it is the right am- yep. ampersands to share. I very much I've been trying to make that catch on for years. But I was even looking. I I dug through my my steel books of the series to rewatch this movie uh, today, and I'd forgotten on on the steel book packaging. I don't know if this is on all of the packaging for this movie, but on the steel book packaging at least for this film, they title it Fast Ampersand Furious Four. But really? the discs aren't titled that way. And I don't think the main release is titled that way, which is another element of this, which is like... No one ran that by, by Vin. But I, oh, clearly not. But I just think the Universal Home Marketing Department was like, we can't do that. People won't know right. which one they're buying. If they go to a movie theater, they can say Fast and Furious at the ticket booth, and they're not accidentally going to buy a ticket for a movie that came out nine months ago or nine years ago rather if you go to best buy you need to know which disc you're buying especially when it has the exact same cast above the title so when i bought the eight movie collection two weeks ago to watch all of these films Mm -hmm. having not seen them really yeah uh and was hobbs and shaw not included in that hobbs and shaw was not included in that set um gets his way again there you go uh so what happened was i got the digital copies Mm and put the whole thing into my and each one of the things in my itunes library has a number at the bottom so that there isn't any confusion as to what but in my library in terms of like where they fit they're totally fucked because alphabetically yes 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 it's a disaster it's a disaster because once again the first movie has the definite articles it is fully spelled out a title that now feels like uh, you know things to do in denver when you're dead it feels so (laughs) wordy when you go they took the time to spell out once upon a time in the west fast and be furious and of course too fast too furious which is one of the great like uh, shitty sequel title (laughs) joke electric boogaloo like another one where you go you can't do that right yeah yeah. two twos what are you talking about all these things so that that's another reason why tokyo just kind of lame because it makes sense not the movie the title it's a terrible title title, but because it makes sense it makes perfect sense tells you what it is but once again that sets up a new game which many franchises have done which is at a certain point you drop the numbers and you just go to first title colon subtitle Sure. Yeah, sure. They go to the fast in the furious colon Tokyo Drift. You go, okay, I got it. That's a lot of words, yeah. You found you found your lane. But then don't they get into trickiness with six and seven? Because aren't yes. they both furious? Yep. Well, furious okay. six and furious fast, seven? Fast, fast so, and furious. Yes. Yeah, so this movie is fast ampersand furious six. Uh, fast ampersand furious, right? Right. Done. Uh, yes. Right. Uh, then five is fast five. Just right. totally Great spelled out. Great name. Great name. Great, Great, name. Name. Great movie. But another right. one where I remember people being like, they're not called fast. You can't call it fast no, five. That, that that one was just, that was cool. That, I, oh, I, like, I, that, I was in the tank. I just remember some people questioning. <laughs> I, I, if I had to say the one that I think is just like the worst. Yeah. Mm. It's Fast and Furious 6. They mailed that one. In. I agree. So Lynn very much wanted that one to be called Furious 6. And I think he knew he was going to walk away at that point and it was going to be Fast Five, Furious Six. And at the opening credits of Fast Ampersand, Furious Six, it does say Furious Six, but but Universal would not approve the title. So he like got it in there in the credits of the movie. I don't remember if it's the end credits, the, the opening credits or both, but he gets it in at least one once visually on screen. They would not let that on the marketing materials. They would not let that in the packaging. As you said, iTunes and everything, like it has not yeah. stuck as any kind of uh, live, die, repeat retitling, right? 
So then Furious 7 is Furious 7, but it's numeral 7. Right, right, right. Sure. Then I, Oh, because yeah. oh, Fast 5 is the word 5. That's right. Yeah. Right. And then right. Fate of the Furious is... is it's kind of, I, I, it's a it's a great. I love it. Very I love okay it. with that one. Yeah, <laughs> and then you just go to F nine. No, but but what I love is you, it's another one where there's a question because on all marketing materials it has been F nine colon the Fast Saga, the which I love. Saga. In the credits of the movie, it's only F nine. But I'm like, put in a new subtitle. I'm super into in the ninth installment slash yes. tenth installment. Yes. Yeah. God, just giving the saga a name. Just, yeah. We need something that, to tie this all together. Not what I would have called it. No, <laughs> no, no, it's crazy. And now, like, so the interviews he's been doing recently. because uh, we just did 20 minutes on this. Yeah, I was just going to say, no, but you have to. You have to. <laughs> Originally, Vin said he was done after 10, right? That he signed up right, for right. 8, 9, 10. And yeah. then after the mixed response to 8 and... Justin Lin agreeing to come back, he was sort of like, I need three more to finish it up. So then it was like, okay, 10 would have been a clean one to yeah. end off at. And there yeah. are a lot of clean final title possibilities there. Fast 10, your seatbelts is the joke one that I stand behind. <laughs> but also you go like Fast X, Fast X Furious, right? Right, like, right, right. There are oh, any number yeah, of that, that, good, clean, final yeah. sort of titles yeah. there. So then you go 11, like, well, it's part of the chaos of this franchise to not end with like the the good final number to go one extra mm-hmm. one. But then Vin's been doing these interviews saying we're in active pre-production. We start filming in January and interviewers will say on 10 and he goes on 10 part one and part two. Oh, so he's, he's no longer <laughs> calling <laughs> them 10 and 11. He's saying we're back to back shooting two movies. That's the two part 10. You're, Which boggles the mind what he could fantastic. even call that. Like, that's that's where I'm starting to get really excited. Because if he calls it, like, Fast 10 1 and Fast 10 2, <laughs> that's beautiful. But also, if he calls one Fast and he calls one Furious, that's beautiful. If he calls one Fast X and one Furious X, that's beautiful. Like, there, uh, there's all sorts of things he could do here. I'll say this too. They're filming mm-hmm. one big movie and they're splitting that's it in two. Is, what that, it the, is that what they're like. saying? Okay. That's what it sounds Which like. Which is what yeah. they wanted correct. four and five to be, correct? Yes. Like the plan was to shoot both of those together and then Universal well, got cold feet and was like, let's just see how four does. I, I've heard a lot of conflicting stories on okay. this. This is the best I can understand it. And, and these stories get conflicted because uh, Vin is a fabulist. <laughs> and I say really? this with all love. <laughs> But Vin always likes to talk about how he changed everything and did things that no one had ever done in Hollywood before and how he made every single decision in this franchise. True fact, I, right. I do not question him as the ultimate auteur of this <laughs> franchise. But he did I, finally join the PGA, though. I saw Fast he 9 has the PGA at the well, end of his thing. It, it was brutal. Uh, last year, I don't know if you guys were following on Instagram, Vin was waging a full-out war with the PGA, or as he liked to call them, the Prejudice Guild of America. <laughs> Because they were prejudiced against him being the producer. Um, but this this is, there was a, 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 like right. a, a junior Universal exec who went viral maybe six or seven months ago. Mm-hmm. Franklin Leonard, I believe, had a tweet that was like, someday someone's going to write the oral history of how Fast and Furious became a franchise. And it's going to sure. be this amazing time capsule of this 20-year period of Hollywood filmmaking and how everything changed. 
and uh, in a period where Hollywood became so franchise obsessed and this was the opposite where it was like this thing gets built retroactively yeah. rather than sort of planned out, um, mapped out uh, years in advance by, uh, you know, high level executives. But this one executive was in response to Franklin Leonard thing was like, I can give you my quick version of it. And his quick version of it was 20 tweets and included a lot of huge leaps, right? <laughs> But uh-huh. the element here that I had not heard before, which I've since heard kind of echoed in other interviews, I think by both Vin and other people, is that um, – and this is all important context for this specific movie, obviously, right? Yeah. Uh, he turns down two. They offer him $25 million. He goes, no, the script sucks. I don't want to just do another Fast and Furious. If you're going to do it, it has to be a saga. It has to be a legacy of these characters. And they went, what the fuck are you talking about? Go yeah. eat farts. There's no <laughs> legacy to these characters. No one gives a shit, right? So Vin right. goes off. He makes Triple X. Triple X is a hit. They go, well, we thought you were David Caruso in NYPD Blue leaving a hit, but you were right. Now you have your franchise, Triple X. And he went, no, thank you. I'm leaving Triple X. <laughs> they went, yeah. what? He goes, I'm going back I to Riddick. Riddick. Right. Riddick? What are you talking about? He goes, Riddick's the whole thing. He goes into Universal. He presents to them three leather-bound volumes. Each one literally locked, like with with like an iron lock. And said, Pitch Black, which did okay. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. It's a movie that came out in like February and made like $30 million yeah. and had a good shelf life on TNT or whatever. Sure. But it was not like a huge success, right? But now he's a bigger star. He's launched two franchises. He goes, Pitch Black was The Hobbit. And then he drops the volumes on the desk and he says, this is Lord of the Rings. And then he goes, I have three keys. You only get each key when you green light the movie. Oh, he's so <laughs> It's so stupid. I know you're going, he's so stupid. I'm going, he's so smart. Yeah, it's both. <laughs> but this is the thing. It's both. It's, it's both. both. Right. So I, to yeah, the best of my knowledge, the, the latter two books have never been opened. Because they were like, well, we should read these so we know if we want to make the sequels. And he goes, no, you have to green light first and then I'll give you the key. So they read the first one. They put fucking $150 million in the Chronicles of Riddick. It, it blows up on the runway, right? It just, no one gives a shit. It just doesn't really <laughs> go anywhere. Its legacy is yeah. mostly having the best, uh, like, movie tie-in video game of the 2000s. Mm-hmm. Um, but the movie's a fucking non-starter. Uh, uh, Pacifier's a hit. But it does not give him any credibility. And people are kind mm-hmm. of like, oh, you're already like doing self-parody, you know? And then it's like uh, fucking Man Apart bombed, which was shot before Fast and Furious but kept on a shelf. Um, uh, Babylon AD is the other one that's had yeah. on a shelf for a while. Maybe one other one that I'm forgetting. But he's like pretty much out. Like has completely flamed out as a movie star. He's a joke. It's a joke. Yeah. It's a joke. Yeah. It's a joke. And so I, is Paul I, Walker at the time as well. Yep, yep. Paul and Paul- Walker's not so much a joke as much as Paul Walker is a non-entity. Like, right, like right, Vin, right. Is, yes. Vin is a national punchline. I remember yes. Yes. when he gave that award to Sidney Lumet, I think mm-hmm. at the Oscars. Yeah. Uh, Might have been at the Golden Globes when he was shooting that movie Find Me Guilty with the hair yeah. and it looked ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the, 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 the juxtaposition of, you know, like one of the five best directors ever to live and this fucking goof when people saying, why and, is Sidney Lumet making a Vin Diesel movie? Like, that's so why depressing. Is Lumet, what, after he made before the, No, it was before he made the It was devil. before. This before was his that. first movie in, like, 10-plus years. Yeah, this was... So, this, yeah. Yes. And, so yeah, it's and like, maybe it stay yeah. retired. Like, what are you yes. doing? Don't make yep. a Vin Diesel movie. Um, and the whole thing was awkward. And and yes. and that, that would, to me, was like, you're all done. 
Like I mean, you're the bad. thing I always quote that's just like fucking lock it up, like you're over, Vin. The A V Club review, I don't remember who wrote it. It was maybe Nathan Rabin, uh of Babylon A D, which I think was shot in two thousand six and comes out in two thousand eight, comes out the year before this, right? And is just like, This is done. This is the last one. Right. This mm-hmm. comes out the last fucking weekend of August. It's reviled, it bombs. Uh, you're you're nothing anymore. That review had the line in it that I still think is one of the most scathing uh, burns of an actor, of a movie star I've ever read in a review. It was, uh, you know, describing the plot and you go, yeah, you know, a mysterious man uh, tasked to shepherd a girl. Because uh, Babylon AD is just uh, dumb children of men is what that movie is, <laughs> yeah. right? Um, so they're describing his character and in the parentheses it says, Vin Diesel, comma, her fo- who for our younger readers was briefly a movie star in the early 2000s. Jesus. It is That's so brutal. concise in just like, we do not have to ever consider the future of this man ever again. And yeah. not only that, if you're five years younger than I am, you don't even really know who this guy is. Like, he's just, he's an anomaly. What is this thing? He's a vestige. But Tokyo Drift, they make this budget movie. It it over delivers, right? I think they're screening it. They go, it's pretty good, but it would let's get something from the original franchise back. Like we're missing some kind of pop, some kind of hook. Mm-hmm. So they go to Vin Diesel and they go, "Would you shoot one scene? You come in at the very end. You're in like two shots. Right? We'll pay you two hundred and fifty thousand dollars." <laughs> Jesus. Mm-hmm. And yep. Vin Diesel goes, "Keep your money. Give me the franchise. Give me the franchise." No, he says, give me Riddick. Oh, <laughs> oh that's right. He so goes, how did he, so how did he, he get the franchise? So he goes, give me the rights to Riddick. I want to own Riddick. And they go, yeah, you want to own Riddick? Yeah, yes. That's like, that's a tax yeah. write-off. <laughs> yes. Yes. Here's, here's Riddick. But when he shows up on set, he starts doing his fucking Vin thing and going, you know, the problem is you never invested in the saga. This is like the Godfather. And they're like, okay, jerk off, jerk off. They screen the movie with his ending and people go fucking ballistic. Yeah, yep, like yeah. it goes up like a million points. And they're like, fuck, we kind of can't deny <laughs> how excited people are for this guy to be behind the wheel of a car again. So then they start the meetings with him and it was under the auspices of like, this might be direct to video. And if it's not direct to video, it's like one last one and it's only conditional on us being able to get all four back. And what I understand from that point, sorry, long journey to get here, Phil, is that he pitched, I want to do two movies. Mm -hmm. One is the Brian movie. One is the Dom movie. And I want to do the movies filling in where these characters have been for the last decade. Mm. And and then they'll collide in what will be the sixth movie. To which they said, fuck off. What are you (laughs) talking about? Well, can I also, what needs to... uh, Los Bandoleros also happens, right? This is why I asked to push back recording half an hour because I realized I hadn't rewatched Los Bandoleros. Yes, which is, is very that true. Important. Yes, because yeah. I, I I watched it yesterday too. Yeah. So Los Bandoleros, which is he's given I don't know what the budget was, but he made yeah. a very expensive, uh, I would say, student film I, uh, about. I, I my understanding is that that was kind of the concession. That he had this whole thing of like, you can't do a four that starts here. People are going to be wondering what happened to Dom in the Dominican Republic for nine years. And they were like, we don't give a shit. Everyone wants the movie that's you and Walker together again. That's the juice. 
That yeah. has to happen at minute 15 or 20 or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I think that was sort of the concession of like, we'll give you $200,000, a half a million dollars, whatever the fuck it is, to do a thing. Because at this point, home video is still really robust. Right. Anytime right. you can re-release a movie with like a new special feature. Directed and written by Vin Diesel. <laughs> right. And they they did this with Too Fast too, where before yes. Too Fast came out, they re-released the first movie on DVD with a short film called A Turbocharged Prelude to Too Fast, Too Furious. <laughs> and so I think they were like, that's worth our time and money. And that also gets Vin to shut up. Let him make his sure. fucking city of God, moody, non-action <laughs> Where has Dom Toretto been? Short yeah. film. But you watch it and you're like, this is really fucking important. And it like I was just I was just gonna say that yeah. as much as I don't particularly like Los Bandoleros, I think it's actually important information. Hugely. Like the context going into the beginning of this movie would yeah. have been nice to have. <laughs> yes. for, for forget the important information for a second. Okay. Mm-hmm. This is when Vin did the thing that I think makes this franchise Agreed. stand out. Agreed. He, more than any franchise and mm-hmm. more than any, as you said, Griffin, auteur, Vin mm-hmm. is a fan. Yeah. And yes. what fans always do yeah. is say, what about this guy? What about yeah. that guy? Where did this happen? What happened here? And he never leaves a fucking thread hanging well, out there. This is the biggest part of it is that Vin is famously a humongous, humongous Dungeons and Dragons guy. Clearly, he has been playing the same clearly. campaign with his friends since he was a kid. The last witch hunter, for my money, probably the worst of the modern Vin vehicles, is a movie about his character that he's been playing since he was like 13 years old. But the plotting of this franchise not just in terms of the plotting in the text, but also the strategy of how they think about expanding the franchise is so Dungeons and Dragons-y in terms of like, you do a campaign, then you regroup. You go like, which characters should we bring back again? Which threads should we bring back? How do you evolve things? How do you stay bigger? How do you keep it to the roots? You know, it's constantly that sort of like rejiggering and just the amount of thought into Los Bandoleros, which once again, if you watch the turbocharged Too Fast, Too Furious prelude, it like it's it fucking sucks. It's like it looks like a fucking Mountain Dew commercial. I mean, it's like fun for right. what it is, but it's sure, absolutely sure. just like a 2003 time capsule of like, you know, paying too much money to shoot one action sequence with one of the actors. Right. And this is like Vin being like, no, the mythology matters. And like not only is he going like, here's how Han ties into this. You know, this is how we need to set this up because why was Vin going all the way to Tokyo to see Han? To which the studios, I'm sure, said Dom went all the way to Tokyo after Han died because you're the star of the first movie. It doesn't matter. Like, you know, but he's like, no, there has to be. And then you look at what they do with the two, the uh, uh, Don Omar and uh, Tigo Calderon. I always forget their character's name. Uh, Santos and... uh, Yes. Um... Uh, they they're established first in this, mm-hmm. but they do become kind of an important bridge that yep. only really fully makes sense after nine, nine. where you se- <laughs> which is once get demented. But nine, you set up that when Vin, when Dom gets arrested, the original crime they talk about in the first movie, he meets them in prison, which is why why at the end of the first movie, when Brian gives him the getaway car. He yeah. drives to the DR because 
A, he needs to get out of the country, and B, those are the guys he has roots with. Mm-hmm. And so then you're explaining why he's been there that whole time, why he went to that country working on these missions. Han gets pulled into this, and then Letty tracks him down, which then becomes an important plot thing in this one. Where, let me, like, you, so, you, let me ask you a question. Uh, I have a question yes. for, for both of you guys. Okay. I, want, I want to keep going on this for a second, but go ahead. But this question does connect yeah. to what, what, you're, what you're both getting sure. at here, which is originally the idea here is the, the, the Dom movie and the Brian movie, which ultimately kind of almost feels like Godfather Part 2 sort of Correct. something or like that. Correct. If given, I guess my point here is, if Vin was allowed to do what he wanted to do with these movies, bad idea wouldn't have worked. Franchise successful, right? Like it wouldn't have worked. Absolutely. And and here's another thing: Too Fast, huge hit. But we put forward the theory on our recent Too Fast episode. If Too Fast was more well liked, this franchise wouldn't have happened. Right. Like, like because if Too Fast had worked and had been well received, then they just would have done. Okay, every movie, it's Paul Walker and a new criminal solving a car crime as car cops. Like, it would have just become a shitty cop franchise in the same way where, like, if Tokyo Drift... (laughs) Right, if Tokyo Drift was a bigger hit, then they would have just kept doing that. Cool, we can make these for $30 million. They turn a profit. You know, like, all these things were so marginal. And what he was pitching at that point was too ambitious. I think it wouldn't have worked. And I also think... You needed the same model original parts. Like you needed to fucking go. We they're all back. Like you needed to do that in one movie. And even if it was in the same movie but cutting between two different timelines, it wouldn't work. Even if they didn't collide into the last act, it wouldn't work. Like you do fundamentally need this movie to have them cross paths early because that's that's where the action is. So, two things. Real fast, I want to go back to the thing that you're talking about with Vin and this franchise. Uh, the point you made that I loved, Griffin, is this the idea of the, the theoretical studio exec who mm-hmm. says to Vin, you're in three at the end because you're the star of the movie. Right. And that is the shit that we've been made to swallow right. throughout this whole franchise era. Yes. That people yes. could just show up and we're supposed to accept it because we're supposed to also have some kind of distance between the movie which that, that, is not right that happened because the fans will like it and in reality Fun, yes it, it maybe it gets a pop in the moment but it it leaves a bad aftertaste almost well always. you can't do anything with it and yes. that's that that carry you can't do it. it that's the end of it right you have you have you have yeah you've kind of like singed the end of that nerve and and you 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 blew your wad and you can't have yeah. fun. Yep. Vin, Vin saying, no, this matters. Every fucking the whole thing fucking yeah. franchise. Right. And like, and, oh, yes. And, and once again, like he says in 2002, when offered $25 million, you're making a mistake by not taking the Coppola approach with this. And they went like, who the fuck is this guy? But he's so goddamn Right. It's that thing of just of like right. you need to be taking whatever you're doing that seriously and care that much. I think this franchise has a, a very sharp sense of self-awareness and humor about what it's doing. It knows what world it's existing in, especially as it evolves. But he also understands. Didn't know that. I think yes. I, I, Dude, yes, this is, yes. 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 I, I think this is that line. Then really break. Yeah. If you really yes. break this down. Okay. Like really look at this franchise. Yeah. This is 101 shit. Yes. Because like like very simply, 
starting and ending with cookouts, starting yeah. ending Fast Nine with it's yes. all about family. He knows, he knows what that, that is the undergirding. Yeah. The stuff about fucking Tez, Tez and, uh, and Roman going to space. Yeah. He also gets that that's fun, but that's not what the movie is. If that's what the movie is, it would be it would be a spoof. Right. right. So it's that he knows how to balance both of those things. Yeah. Right. It's that he knows that like every time he says family, he says it like it's the most important thing that anyone's ever mm-hmm. said. This and is true. I'm sure he shows up making fun of Ed at all. Right. And he he shows up at, you know, the houses of his uh, universal executives unannounced at three o'clock in the morning to fucking rant about his theories on family for hours. But but I think he understands the function of sending the guys to fucking space. You know, I think he understands the incredulity incredulity of where the series needs to go while also staying very kind of granular and rooted in what the, the, the kind of undercurrent of this whole thing is. I think, and I, I this, it's amazing. Nine, nine installments in or 10, whatever, but yeah. nine installments in, I really loved F9. I thought it was Love fantastic. It. I I like it was I, 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 yeah. I loved the young Dom, Dom yeah. and young Jacob stuff. It, you know, in a lot of ways that was your godfather too, you know, yes. structure, but it really that really worked for me. It really worked for my and son. It really I, I know this work. isn't a Fnine episode, this is an ampersand episode, but just a quick thing I want to point out that I think is a great what I use as a good argument for how self-aware Vin actually is in the grand scheme of things, right? Because he's also he's a movie star, he's a diva, he's got a big ego, right? This thing is like his vanity project, all of that. But I think it is so telling that. There's that much time devoted to flashbacks in mm-hmm. F9. Like, I did not expect that there would be like 30 minutes. Yeah, no, it's I mean, pretty substantial. At least, yeah. right? It's like a big yeah. chunk of the movie interspersed throughout in the entire film. Very important to this yes. mythology yes. from the first right. fucking yes. installment. Right. And and filling in little details, big details, all this sort of shit, right? I think it is so telling that he did not do fucking digital de-aging. He didn't play it himself, you know, with makeup and that he also cast an actor, a young actor who is giving a very, very different performance than what Vin is currently doing in the timeline of the movies. And that is because if you watch the original Fast and Furious, Vin Diesel's like a weird New York character actor who wants to be a movie star. But he like (laughs) comes from like fucking black box, like off off Broadway theaters and shit, right? He's working as a bouncer and trying to put his plays up and, like, making short films and shit. And he gives, like, a fucking, like, Sundance drama performance in that first movie, you know? And then in this one, he's getting bigger. And then in five, he gets bigger. And all of them, he gets bigger. And part of it is he comes to understand the mythology of what this character needs to represent, right? That he needs to become mythological as a physical being, right? And suddenly he talks less, he poses more, you know, he becomes more powerful of all, uh, all of, uh, control of all of his uh, surrounding elements, all that sort of shit. He casts an actor who's doing the kind of thing that he did 20 years ago because you need to reground the stuff that takes place at that point in the timeline in that same level of verisimilitude rather than casting some actor who now today wants to be the new Vin Diesel, you know? And yes. And that's, I mean, you brought up something else during it, the way he gets bigger and bigger and more Herculean and more larger than life. This is now I might be getting way far afield, but like, I, I believe what he's doing. And this goes back to your first point, Griffin, about, you know, the fan base. Yeah. Which uh, a week ago, 
though I thought was a bunch of nerds and now I like I'm obsessed with everybody sure. uh, in, involved because yeah. it is a very welcoming fan base, right? Yeah. yeah. <coughs> um, family. They he, might say they're a family. family. Well, that's the whole fucking point. He's he's he is he is he is, he, he's walking the walk here. Yeah. But he he uh <laughs> He's a superhero for in the, for the franchise era. He is he has actually made a franchise film by a fan for a fan, and he is the only one giving the fans what they want. But yeah. I want to say something else because I want to bring it back to four, and, and also reason- like owns his mistakes, right? Like sure. like if they fucking error on one franchise entry, the next one fucking course corrects. Like they yes. did course correct with nine. A lot of people yeah. didn't like eight, so right. I mean- yeah. Yeah. Well, eight. It made. They whatever. Eight, eight made a big mistake. But and I have a theory about that too. And I, it ties into what I'm talking about. What I'm about to talk about. Mm-hmm. The reason more than anything, you talked about this in two when you sure. with uh with with Gabers quite a mm-hmm. bit, is the meta narrative of failing and coming back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And all of these players mm-hmm. have experienced failure. Yeah. Yes. Embarrassment or both. This is a good recentering, Kenny, because that's the other weird juice that this movie in particular has is here Mm -hmm. are four people who in 2001 were framed as are these maybe the stars of tomorrow. And by 2009, Hollywood has said conclusively not. (laughs) You are the stars of yesterday. Maybe. Right. 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 And then. Because so there's the, the Vanity Fair Young Hollywood cover yes, yes. Where, where Brewster and Paul Walker are both yeah. on it in 2000, mm-hmm. I think. Yep. And then, like, uh, Vin and Rodriguez are arguably the two who kind of pop more off of that first movie, but then sort of, like, putter out. By the time that she ends up on Lost, people are like, oh, she's doing TV now. Yeah, And right. then it she gets killed off bit, in, yeah. unceremoniously. No, it all, like, matters, but it did feel like, at this point, she's yeah, been killed she off doing, on Lost. Yeah. Vin right. has bombed. The Paul Walker movies they're successful, he gets no credit for, right? Like, I'm not saying he deserves it, but something like fucking Eight Below comes out and makes money. And people are like, well, I don't know. It's some Disney dog movie. Like, dog it doesn't movie. matter who's in the park. <laughs> right. It's yeah. irrelevant. And Brewster just feels like she's nowhere at this point. Yeah. So I, I think yeah. that, I, I, so all, all that being true, I, that, that's just a lot of purposes here. Yeah. The, the 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 fact that they had all failed, they all failed publicly. This franchise mm-hmm. kind of failed. This franchise took a lot of L's. Um, one, you don't have the situation where uh, they burn out by the third or fourth movie. Correct. So look at a, look at something like like Pirates. The fourth Pirates movie made a ton of money, but everyone just burned out, right? Yeah. If yeah. there was a situation where Johnny Depp realized, I'm so fucking lucky to have Jack Sparrow in my life, you might still be getting Pirates movies, for instance. Mm-hmm. Secondly... All the people that they kept adding yeah. were people who experienced failure. Tyrese, uh, fucking Ludacris, who was kind of like, you know, like, like a goof rapper at that point. I, the I, rock. And- I would refine your language here, Kenny. It might sound persnickety, yeah. but I think it's an important distinction. I, I, yeah. think, I think the key common attribute is everyone has something to prove. That's in right. some That's right. way, like even the people who are coming into this franchise That's successful, what I mean. no, because some of them had truly failed, right? And mm-hmm. some of them are coming into it successful, but maybe not doing what they want to do or wanting to show that they can do something else. You know, everyone is has something to prove with this franchise. It does not feel like an easy cash in for anybody. Everyone feels very like grateful to be <laughs> part of it. With the exception of, of two people. Yeah. Okay. I'm curious to hear which two you say. Uh, Statham, uh huh. Charlize, I like. I I think the inclusion of Charlize is 
it's too fucking cool. It's like it's it's yeah. it's too it's just it's too cool. Like I I she's she's picking up cool points from being involved. The movie's picking up cred from having her in it. It's uh-huh. not this Helen Mirren like bizarre square peg situation. I, I really think that Charlize's inclusion, and she looked unbelievable in Fate of the Furious. Sorry. But like, yeah, I definitely, uh, I think her inclusion um, rattled me too much. Look, here's is that character working for me now? No, but <laughs> this franchise has salvaged anyone and anything that doesn't seem to be working and find some way to give fair, it value fair. at some That's point. True. That's so true. like, I I don't feel like. Disaster, disaster, bail. Um, I, I, I look. I, I agree with you there. I do think she is the closest in terms of actor coming on to payday, right? Where it's just like, sure, I'll be in this big franchise. Why not? I don't one location and get shot out in like ten minutes, right? But like, she's a serious fucking actress and a box office draw and does action movies. A massive movie star. There's nothing she's proving by doing this. It's not like Helen Mirren going like, I never get to work in this genre. This is a fun genre to play in. She clearly loves being in these fucking movies. Wants to be in more. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, Statham. I will say. Whether it's just kind of strategic career business or whether his heart's really in it, I do think he had something to prove coming in, especially if you look at where he's at in his career between six and seven. And that that's the thing that kind of finally kind of punched him out of the um, like Lion's Gate uh, $50 million budget ghetto. Like he he was a, a proven action star with a very, very firm ceiling in terms of. What when movie was Spy? Is Spy is around the same time, I want to say. Spy I, is like 13, 14. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I tend to, I mean, I don't know. I never thought of Statham as a movie star, but that's just me. But no, it's is, not that he's a movie star. It's that this, his, his casting to me is suspendable-ish. Sure, which sure, not sure, what sure. this franchise It, it feels is a about. little... Uh, uh, I, this is the other thing I'll say about it. I do think Statham is the one who can overplay the joke. Uh, because yeah. as we've said, it's this, I think so too. it's this line you have to walk of like, this is serious as a heart attack, but you have to know where the comedy is. You have to understand where the comedy is and not play it necessarily. And I think Statham might be a little too smarky, a little too winky. I, I like the way he's used in Seven the most when they're just like, he's just fucking Jaws. Like, he's just a shark. He's the I, Terminator. I like you know, just make him, like, so absurdly menacing. Um, yeah. uh, Kurt Russell's the other one, I would say, although I think he works very well, who's in the Charlize position of, like, he doesn't need this. You could yeah. argue maybe there's a little bit more of him wanting to be like, oh, reintroduce myself to the younger kids and whatever. Can I ask yeah. a Kurt Russell question always, just very quickly? Always, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. F9. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what happened? I, <laughs> he, they, we see a video of him, yeah. and then they never fucking tell oh. us if he's dead or alive. They'll tell you. They'll tell you. <laughs> it's another case for where I just go like, okay, cool. I assume you'll give me some answer Justin to that Finn. that I appreciate. And <laughs> some days they'll come back yeah. full circle on this. Fair right. enough. Right. I, uh, I no longer view like hanging threads in, in these movies. Um, but that's yes, totally fair. I was just, I, I left the theater with a bunch of friends and they're all just like, 
did I miss something or did they just not tell us what happened to Kurt Russell? But but also speaks to the world uh, these movies are set up now because like the movie starts with being like, here's video of him dying. (laughs) And we sit there the entire time and go like, but is he really dead or not? Like death means nothing. Right. 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 Um, there's something else I wanted to say about, uh, everyone, no, 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 no. It was uh, 18 points ago. Um, uh, everyone in this franchise having something to prove. That's, that's a, that's a huge, uh, part of it. Oh yes. I know what I was going to say. And I think leads to this weird emotional investment, uh, people have in this franchise that it is like this little engine that could, that these actors willing themselves into remaining key parts and sticking around for fifth and sixth and seventh movies and all that sort of stuff. There's this like underdog spirit to it that still exists even though it's technically an overdog franchise. And a lot of that is also just the passage of time, the weird boyhood effect of being able to see these people grow and go, oh, that is exactly how we dressed in 2005 or whatever, right? But yeah. I think the other thing to your point, we're talking about all these like, because this is, these are all the questions you have to ask when talking about Ampersand. I know we barely talked about the meat of the movie itself, but almost I mean, all these things yeah. we're talking about are kind of more important than the movie itself, although I have things to I, say. I agree. But you ask all these questions about, like, how did it end up this way, right? What went right? What went wrong? What could have gone wrong? Or all this sort of stuff. Um, fundamentally, it's it's like this movie couldn't exist if they had listened to Vin back in 2002. Because this is what he would have pitched, I imagine, for Too Fast. When they gave him a script in $25 million right. and he said, fuck you, page one rewrite here are my notes and they went no i'm sure this is what he said you need to do the movie that's about you know he comes back for the dominican republic he crosses paths with uh brian again they have this uneasy you know whatever uh the return movie and i don't think that movie carries the same weight if eight years haven't passed you know i i think there's something about the fact that even though they're two fast and furious movies in between these dynamics have been laying totally dormant for the better part of a decade at this point, right? The Mia Brian dynamic, the Brian Dom dynamic, the Brian Mia dynamic, the Dom uh, uh, Letty dynamic. Those four things, which, you know, it, like there are ropey elements of the first movie. We were all tweeting about our franchise rankings, and I said a thing about how I think the first movie is very poorly directed. And you guys and other people were like coming to like, what? Come on, it's one of the best ones. I'm like, look, I rank it number three in the franchise. I just think objectively, that's not the strength of that movie. Rob Cohen's mm-hmm. the worst director this franchise has ever had. That yeah. movie works for a bunch of other reasons. It overcomes it. It has the right texture. They hired the right actors. You know, the script, which I think was largely written by Vin Diesel on the day. Uh, they made it work and all that sort of shit. But it's one of those things where you're like, Paul Walker's bad in the first movie. He, you know, I think he gets better as an actor across these films. I think he's best in seven. Um, you know, in the first one, he's a very, very pretty man with very, very flat line readings. But he is one of those guys where you're like, he does have whatever that undeniable, undefinable movie star thing is. This guy is very watchable. This guy grounds the thing, even though he is not behaving like any naturalistic human being I've ever witnessed. Right. And right. And speaking to that, it's just like the chemistry between him and Vin and the chemistry between him and uh, Brewster and likewise between Vin and Rodriguez was just fucking undeniable in that first movie. Like, just well, any time it's that, one of those two on screen, it's just like, there's, like, juice here, you know? Well, this fits, I will say, this film feels the most like the first film in yes. terms of subject matter, in terms of this sort is of the, direct the grit that it's yes. trying to do. Yeah. And then... 
it's also the bridge to making the series possible off right. of it. But I would also say this is the last film that kind of feels purely Fast and Furious. Correct. Like, because then, you know, you, obviously Fast Five, which is fantastic, but like you've inserted The Rock into this thing. Yeah. It's already become much bigger. And then it only gets more sort of preposterous and bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah, they're also, this is uh, the most grounded. Yes. yes. And then it's off to the races, right? Because it feels I, yeah. like. Yeah. I hadn't rewatched this one in a decade and it just moved up a bunch in my ranking. Because I, I, it's, I mean, talk about this this franchise being this weird living text, right? Yeah, yeah. At the time, I was just like, this movie's so fucking ridiculous. Like, it's tonally so all over the place. Yeah. You know, like, uh, th- the uh. weird action sequences feel so disconnected from the scenes that are treating the the Dom and Brian saga like it is the Godfather and whatever. And now the movie feels very, like, stripped down, very very, raw, very down. <laughs> pure, but it is like it was building the bridge between those two things. As, yeah. as you're sort of saying, like, five... Now it's a heist movie, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then by seven, you go like, now they're Mission Impossible. Like, mm-hmm. they start working yeah. in these other genres too. Right. So it, it, this franchise is weird, like, birth as let's make a small $20 million movie about an underground culture is now a bunch of guys sitting in a room trying to design the most insane set pieces possible and then going, and how do we explain why these are the only people who can do it? You know, like They've now, stopped basically doing that at this point. Right. Well, they don't need to anymore. They've been so <laughs> successful so often. It makes but, a lot yes, of sense. Now at this you, point. You call in the A-team. But, no, but, I but the yes, but they're the A-team either, at this yeah. point. And this movie, it still makes sense why these characters are doing Absolutely. these things without Absolutely. any yeah. stretch, without any I, reach. Yeah. I mean, as I was watching this movie, I was texting Phil. I, like, I think this might be my favorite. It's really good. Because like yeah. before I went through like this new little renaissance i would very proudly stand and say the first is my favorite that mm-hmm. was always my favorite i love the first set the dynamics it's grounded it makes sense to me yeah um that's the heart of the movie but now i feel like for because it's that bridge because you yeah. still have yeah. the street wasting elements which are really fucking great because yeah. you come back to these dynamics missed it and i think you know you can't i i keep thinking about uh I keep thinking about Jordan playing baseball. Mm. This idea of you had this great thing mm-hmm. and then it went away. Mm-hmm. And you never thought you were going to get it again. And then you got it like even more. <laughs> right? I never thought about how well this tracks onto the Fast and Furious franchise. I, yeah. well, I think about that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Like Jordan playing baseball. Because I wasn't a Bulls fan. I was a Knicks fan. Right. But uh, go, play, play, had- go play baseball. Go make a movie. Like, what are you going to be now, Michael Jordan? And he was like, fuck it. I got to stop trying to not be Michael Jordan. I'm back on the court. I'm back on the court. Right. right. And and the appreciation you have yes. Yes. getting yes. Jordan back yes. yeah. is not dissimilar to the appreciation yeah. being like, I saw the Ersatz versions. Yeah. They're not the same. Right. This this uh, franchise needs that amount of time in between the first movie and this one. It needs it that does. amount of false starts for what the franchise the should the be. Biggest yep. fucking element of it. It needs yep. all of that. And and the at the loss. beginning of this, when they put Han in, you're like, that's kind of a nice wink and a nod. But when in five they start going like all of this matters, we're not ignoring any of the shit from the two movies that quote unquote didn't count. 
Like yeah. that's when your mind starts exploding. You know, well, I, I want to piggyback on both these things because I'm watching so these true. films and I call my friend who's a diehard fan and I mm. just, I said to her like, just explain to me why you love these movies because I mm. just need to understand from someone who loves them. Another why. thing I find fascinating from a fan perspective is I, I feel like the answers you hear are very different. They're all often. very different. Yeah. But she said two things that I think speak very much to what both of you are saying. The first is um, it, it was the comeback story. It was mm. the it was the idea of I was a fan. I stuck with it. I went to see Fast 2 in the theater. I went to see Tokyo Drift in the theater. It's my local when, team. I've been rooting for them. My dad took me to games. They sucked right. for 20 years. You know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then to yeah, Kenny's right. point, and then yeah. fucking Jordan came back. And I sat through all the all the other bullshit, yeah. and now they're back, and and I feel like I've been through something. Yeah, that. So I I do get it. I do understand. I do understand the underdogness of this series for sure. Yeah. and that it had to. What go was the other thing weird. she said? Well, the, the other thing she was saying was just about sort of what you were saying too. But also just sort of sitting in the theater. She's like, when you yeah. see these movies in a theater, it's like a, a religious experience. Yes. You're yes. packed in a theater with a bunch of people. Which was different than the experience I had, which is I watched eight of these films on my TV. Sure. And I saw nine in the theater, and I was like, oh, I get it. Yeah. Kenny, you texted me the other day, too. Where you were I've never seen one in the theater since, there have since I. one. Wow. Yeah. And, right. And one obviously didn't have that kind of fantasy. And, and you guys both so, saw nine in theaters. Correct. Both saw yes, nine in theaters. Yes. yes. Opening weekend, audiences and, just, yeah. just applaud. I mean, it also helps that you haven't been able to see a movie a year yeah. and a half, but, 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 but still. But, but I will say, know. I will say, like, I, I feel like every Fast and Furious movie since this one I've seen in theaters has had a similar type of reaction. Like, it is, yeah. it is like the one franchise where I'm just like, if I go see that thing on opening weekend, I'm going to have like a rhapsodic time. It is. I mean, People look, just love it. I, I don't well, like yell shit out at movies. And I've told this story before, <laughs> but in Fast Five, when there's like the shootout and you think the rock's going to die and Vin reaches out his fucking veiny forearm to grab the rock's veiny forearm and like enemies are now brothers. I yelled out fast motherfucking five at the AMC 42nd Street. So cool. 25, like Friday night, opening night, just clocking off of a shift as a part-time cast member at the Disney store. And it was like on the biggest screen at the biggest multiplex in New York City. And the entire audience just applauded. And it was just the one time where I was like, my instincts were right. Someone needed to say it. We were all thinking it. You know, like it was just this moment of like, I can't believe they're fucking doing this. And I feel like there's also, you know, I've seen these movies in different types of setups and circumstances in terms of seeing them in theaters for the first time. Uh, you know, in terms of who I see them with, in terms of what type of screening I'm going to, all these sorts of things. Um, but there does seem to be this equalizer where I feel like you get in there and you could sort of suss out, like, these are the people who view this this franchise as fucking serious as a heart attack for them. These are the people who love it, ironically. These are the sure. people who haven't seen any of them, but their friends drag them, all of this. And then at some point, everyone's just kind of on the exact same level. Yeah. Just, I want to also. I want to mention something that I texted you, Kenny, um, the other day because I, I don't. I'm not a wrestling person, Griffin. Just yeah, I was going to bring this up too. I'm not I either, but I think that's an important part of it. Yeah, I, and, and I think what's interesting is I mentioned this to Kenny, but like no one stays a villain. Yes, in this series, yeah, which is similar to wrestling in a lot of ways, or at least what I know of wrestling. Yeah, this idea of just sort of like we're all kind of in this together, and we might not agree on certain things, but we're going to find a common ground. Yeah. Or, or what is Kenny? Forgive me. What is it called when you're a villain well, in, in a in a heel? A heel, a heel turn is yeah. the is the yeah. classic. Yeah, yeah heels. Are, yeah, heels. A bad guy faces a good guy. Or baby faces a good guy. And the the I keep 
it's it's because you, you ignore the Deckard Shaw thing for a second, which sure. you know is very hard to kind of wrap your head around. Yeah, <laughs> but the thing I kept like texting Phil earlier this summer about mm-hmm. like what is the deal with Loki? Don't people remember that this motherfucker tried to destroy the fucking world and now we're supposed to just enjoy him on a television show? Okay, I mean, I don't want to go too far down this quarter, but I've been thinking about this a lot because I think for how much like the Marvel thing is so planned out, look at how smart they are 20 steps ahead and working off of fucking volumes upon volumes of material over like the better part of a century now. There are things in the Marvel franchise that still bump for me where I'm like, why are you all acting like this character is this? They were right. this. Right. Yeah. At some point, the franchise changed its mind because that wasn't working or this That's would work better. That's the bullshit I was talking about, yeah, Griffin. Yeah, we're yeah, we're yeah. supposed to just eat it because Tom Hiddleston's charming. But here's, <laughs> but here's what's wild, okay? Because this is where I've been thinking about all this. It's not like the Fast and Furious franchise doesn't make even bigger character swings like that. You look at fundamentally how different Tej is in Too Fast, Too Furious to Mm -hmm. F9. They are not the same character on any fucking level. They are almost Mm -hmm. opposite characters, right? (laughs) And even the way they reintroduced the Tokyo Drift uh, trio in 9. You're like, now they're the lone gunman? Like, what? You know, all these things. That was great. (laughs) But but this is the point. This is the point. I love all of this. I love all of this. And it's because part of it is, I think, A, they're never making the obvious choice, right? It doesn't just feel like, um, I'm going to give a bad example here and you can correct me, but like, oh, well, this wrestler is so popular with the kids that we have to make them a face now, even though they were originally written to be a heel. Um, I'm, I was about to say Hulk Hogan, but Hulk Hogan was a good guy originally. It became yeah, bad later, was, right? Yeah, but no, but, 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 but if you allow me, I'll get into it yeah. for like a moment. But I'm, there are like, there are examples of that, right? Where it's like the, there's an asshole wrestler who then the kids start loving and they're selling the toys and they're like, Fuck, now he needs time. to be a good right. guy. Yeah. The best example, of course, is The Rock. Right, right. Who, right. Was, who, was, a, who yep. was a hated wrestler, right? Mm-hmm. Right, but arrogant, cocky. Yeah. He earned yes. his face turn. They always sure. earn their face turn. Yes. And just like, it, you know, in this movie, the thing about The Rock was uh or Hobbs is he's always protected. He yeah. is never he is he is never irredeemable yeah. the way like Decker Chuck Hunt was irredeemable. Correct. Correct. And Correct. that's the hardest one to swallow. It, it was Nobody a, well, has a so, yes. So this is the distinction yeah. I want to make is that like uh Hobbs it was always a job, right? And he's on he the opposite the side of the law. Guy ostensibly, right? right? And, yeah. and he's bound by a certain kind of internal code and all these things that like Dom is able to respect from a distance. And Dom's whole relationship with Brian is all about yes. his uneasy relationship yes. with people on the opposite side and honor among thieves and all this sort of shit, right? I think the the difference is the choices the Fast and Furious franchise makes are so weird that it doesn't just feel like, well, this is calculated that you now just want this person to be this. You allow them to let uh, uh, Hobbs uh, make a face turn A because I think they set it up properly even though it only happens within the span of one movie I think they earned it but B because when you're doing such weird moves of turning the fucking pimp my ride guy from the first movie into your straight man computer hacker in the fifth movie you're like look you're on some other grid here that I can't see so I just trust you but the other bigger fact is I think as much as these movies do not care about real-world logic in a lot of ways, the other thing I always equate them to are soap operas. 
in that you can kind of fucking do anything, right? Yeah. You can bring characters back from the dead. You can have identical twins, right? You can you can justify any sort of things as long as it's rooted in a what the character what the audience really wants to see, which I think is a very hard thing for filmmakers to know oftentimes. And it gets into this fan service shit you were sort of talking about earlier of like, what do they think they want to see versus what will actually satisfy them? Yes. And I feel like Lynn in particular is always on the right side of that. Um, But the other part of this is, I think emotionally, the logic is almost always airtight with these movies. I I think the Deckard Shaw thing is like the one egregious example. And it's the reason why it's the thing that everyone bumps on because you're just like, if they're going to accept him into their family and he did indeed kill Han, then he has to do a lot more to earn it. That's why they gave him a baby in the eighth one. They're like, but, you can't hate a guy with a baby. Right. But it's also, I mean, this is the other problem is like, you, you got to do more. The whole, I agree. And, and also, this is the fundamental issue with that film for me. I'll just say this as quickly as I can is that movie is so broken by The Rock and Vin Diesel not wanting to be in the same scene, but also wanting to have equal ownership of the film, that they had to bifurcate a narrative in which both of them could be the hero of their own independent halves of the movie, which then becomes Vin's doing his thing, not with his family, which is not what you want to see as an audience. And Hobbs is now running Vin's team, which is also not what you want to see as an audience. Because emotionally, talking about the emotional logic of it, I think you could have successfully made a movie in which Deckard Shaw redeems himself and is accepted by the family. I think you also could successfully make a movie in which the the other half of that narrative is that Dom has seemingly turned bad and they're trying to save him. Right, right. I think the, the biggest fucking issue is the leader of that team cannot be Hobbs. Like, the problem is Fate of the Furious could work if Letty is the lead. It has to be that Letty is the one who is keeping the family together because she's got the fucking ties to everyone because she's the one who refuses to give up on Dom, that she's the one who's going to be looking at fucking Deckard Shaw askance asking him to prove himself rather than The Rock just doing like a dick measuring contest with him. And the problem is that fate really, really kind of puts Letty, Tej, and Roman, but, but Letty in particular, in the background, at which point... You're essentially having The Rock look at the audience and go, look, I want to do the movie with Statham, so Statham's okay, right? Like, he's just telling you. Like, it's like bringing an asshole to a party and going, like, I, I, he's cool. I, I, I vouch for him. I vouch for him. He's not going to start a fight. He's not going to start a fight. Yeah. You know? And it's, it, and it's, it's beneath this movie and beneath yeah. this franchise. And you're like, it's I, my I, birthday party. Ask me. <laughs> I, I probably would have said yes, but fucking ask me. Don't this, just show this, up and tell me it's going to be fine. Know whose house it is. Your your point, and this is all a larger the, the point you're making. You keep coming back to it is about emotional logic. Emotional logic, and and I want to like hone in on that because I would say for me, I life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Watch these movies five through eight mm-hmm. incorrectly at first. Okay. And I think a lot of people watch wrestling incorrectly. I think a lot of people watch soap operas incorrectly. And I think a lot of people watch action movies and particularly this yeah. franchise incorrectly. And wrestling, is, much like we're talking about, that same line of like variant on the joke played very straight. 100%. And yeah. p- new, quote unquote, newbies in the wrestling world who, who, are, who, are, who are genuinely, you know, curious and interested yep. in getting into it looks like fun mm-hmm. think what they're supposed to do is is freak out when crazy things happen in the ring yeah and when people do wild shit backstage and i'm not saying you're not supposed to do that yeah just like you're not not supposed to cheer when you know they jump a bridge from one car to another but, but that's it's, not it's what the same you thing. should be looking Those for. Those are the set pieces. You're looking for the backstage. You're looking for the narratives that are being woven in the sides, the pockets, the margins of this shit. And that's so where that, you, yes. you feel so rewarded when these things come together. And especially when wrestling is another thing where they're constantly changing their plans based on how things are going. When something it's, works, it feels so validating because you're like, this came out of nothing. This shouldn't have worked. Yes. You know? The best feeling in wrestling is when you had, and this is the best feeling in any fandom, comic books, Star mm-hmm. Wars, Muppets, anything that yeah. you go deep on. Yeah. When you feel like something that I have yeah. from 20, 30, 40 years ago yeah. mattered to this moment. Yeah. Oh, it's like, it's, it is, it is, it is sexual and not only that it's not only that i'd say even the heightening of that is like it's not heightening i'm just i i I feel like what this franchise often feels like to me is i forgot that was even in my backpack Mm -hmm. right 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 right, like you saying oh it's when something you've had for all this time finally pays off it's like fast and furious is is kind of the best for me at being like i was i not only did i forgot that existed i was certain i had thrown that out yeah well it's so i when I was on the phone with my friend, she said that the that the moment that she'll always remember was seeing Fast Five opening weekend and mm. the post credit scene oh. when Ava Mendez shows yeah. up and says, "Do you believe in ghosts?" and the audience <laughs> just lost their fucking. And by minds. the way, the the pop at the Ava Mendez reveal was yeah. insane. Where I was just like, "Wow, that's fucking huge!" <laughs> and people were like mm. hooting and hollering. The fact that there were two pops in one post credit sequence was just like. Yeah. That's the same year as Avengers, you know? Yep. Um, it's it's wild to me. But you, you speak about, like, the emotional logic of this franchise, right? And, and this movie is a bridge to all of it. The thing I think they identified so well is... We, I talked about how good the chemistry is in the initial original casting of these uh, uh, original parts that have now been placed in a new model, right? <laughs> but But the major gift they've been given... And honestly, I think it's... Like, the best thing about the first Fast and Furious and is the thing that made me as a 12-year-old who doesn't like, who did not like cars or action movies walk out of the theater and go like, huh, I kind of like that, was the weird, messy ending. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. That, that you have, like, you think you know where this thing is fucking going, 
And then here he pulls this crazy fucking stunt. He drives the car over the train and he barrel rolls and he spins. Paul Walker runs up to him. He has his like, that was a thing, whatever. And, and then Paul Walker, like, hears the sirens, looks over, sees him at the distance, looks at Vin. I owe you a car, gives him the keys. Silent look of acknowledgement gets in the car, drives off. Movie's over. And you were just like, that's odd. This movie, these, there's no lesson. There's no, yeah. there's no, like, we're not seeing him get his happy ending, but we're also not seeing him get any comeuppance. Like, what, what does Paul Walker do now? He's just standing there. What's he going to say to these cops? Like, all of that's kind of fascinating, right? And the ending, you know, where two picks it up where it's like, oh, now he's just a guy. He used to be a cop and he's into car shit, but they can lure him back, but he'll bring in other car people and whatever. It's like uh, the least interesting version of the character, right? But what this movie gets back to is yeah, him being uh, a cop first of all. Well, yes, right now he now he's a Fed, yeah. but um, it gets to a thing that I think is very potent, which is there are two romances in that first movie were either of them real, right? Right. The first right. Fast and Furious movie did not market itself as an undercover cop movie. It marketed itself no. as an underground street racing movie. Yeah. In, in the 30, 40 minute mark when he goes and meets with uh, uh, fucking Ted Levine for the first time, I remember the theater mm-hmm. going like, what? Yeah. That wasn't- you Tim Roth? Yeah. Right. No one said this was yeah. goddamn point break. That was not pitched this way, right? Yeah. Um. So I, I think that's part of the weird investment we as an audience have with this franchise is you found out that Brian was a cop only shortly before the characters in the universe do. You also feel kind of tricked by it. And it feels a little dirty. Like, is this guy going to fuck over my friends? Because those other actors are very compelling, you know? I don't want to see him turn on them. And then the rest of that movie is that tension of like, is the Mia thing real or not? Is the Dom thing real or not? Right. You know, I mean, people make the homoerotic jokes, but it is, this franchise is so much well, about it is a male intimacy. Okay. It is. Right. right. And the family think- and the love and all this sort of shit. And the Mia relationship where you just go like, well, I understand, okay, she's a hot lady, you know, he wants to lay her or whatever. But there's that question of like, but does he actually care for her? And does he actually have the level of respect for Dom that we think he does? So then to have this movie pick up eight years later, have them cross paths again, and have this thing where like Dom's first instinct is like, fuck you, get out of here. I am ratting you to everyone. Why would I keep your cover for anyone? But he doesn't because Dom secretly is like, but what if that was real? You know, that's what this movie's about. Because Mia is a much harder sell. Like, Mia takes a lot longer in this movie to let Brian in. This is the most substantive Brian-Mia movie for sure. Yes, Because, like, basically from this point on, she's kind of emotional wallpaper, unfortunately. Like, she doesn't really get a whole lot to sink her teeth into. Yeah. But, like, they get a couple really good scenes in this movie where, like, you actually do get inside her head. Yeah, and I do like this thing of, like, the difference between them being, like, in their fucking early 20s versus their early 30s at this point or whatever Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, where it's like okay we saw him go off in another movie where evan mendez was his new love interest and they had a weirdly non-sexual relationship right (laughs) he's paul walker he's the best looking guy in the world once again you could see a universe in which every year they made a different car cops movie with a different love interest and a different sidekick right but then this movie right he comes back and immediately both of them it's just like fuck that was a real thing wasn't it 
You know, and it's we easier. A real thing. Yeah, right, yeah. It's easier for them to acknowledge that because it was a sexual thing and across that line. The Dom yeah. thing is so much more ephemeral because yeah. you can also tell how equally hurt Dom was by it. Because it's like, I don't fucking trust people. I don't let people in. I had every justified doubt about you. Every alarm was going off. And against my fucking better judgment, I let my guard down. And I was right. You were a fucking yeah. rat. But well, yet, you did that one inexplicable thing at the end. You gave I'll me the keys. Yeah. You let me get away. Why did you do that? And everyone keeps on asking him in the movie. Like, why did you do that? I'll throw something else out there. All right. So this is I, the first one and the fourth one are very similar. I, yeah. I think the, the fourth, the, the end of the fourth movie is maybe half a tick below the end of the first. Um, I, I but, would argue it's the best ending. As it, much as I love the first ending, fair enough. the ending, Crazy which I want to make sure we talk about for a little bit, is yeah, the moment yeah. where I went like, you son of a bitches, I will be with you until the end of time. Like that was the <laughs> moment where I was like, totally I, agree with you. I, you have fully got me on board. So I, I think we can connect the two. So yeah. the, the, other, the other thing about this Fast and Furious first settings, obviously it's waiting on point, on, uh, point Break to some extent. Yeah. But like he really sent, uh, Johnny really sent Bodie off to die. That's like, the key that, difference. Yes. That, right. That is like, it was, it was, I will let you go because I know you're about to go right. die. And it's and fascinating then, because both of the endings are good guy lets, you know, in quotes here, right? Law yeah, enforcement yeah. official lets criminal ride off. Yes. But the mm-hmm. difference is Bodhi is riding off into his death and mm-hmm. Dom is actually riding off into an unknown future, right? He's actually being given an out. You don't know so, what comes of him, but he's actually being given an exit. So even that version of it, because yeah. I, the other movie I want to bring up that came out just a couple years before this, mm-hmm. one of my favorite movies is Donnie Brasco, mm-hmm. which is very much this dynamic, which almost had, you know, uncle nephew, I would say. Sure. But the whole movie, you were you you're really hoping that one way or another he'd let Al Pacino off the hook. Right, that's the thing. You you doesn't. Yes, yeah, yes. Right. So you're getting what I'm saying. You've been we have been we have been we have been set up by culture to believe that in the end of the day, the cop one way or another is going to uphold the law. Look, and here's another thing. I don't want to get caught in the weeds with this shit because I know you have a heart out, and we got a lot to say <laughs> still. But this is one of the things that makes like undercover cop fiction inherently interesting because especially in movies you're dealing with these are fake people playing fake people playing fake people Mm -hmm. acting out scripts that were designed in a boardroom and trying to make us believe that this is a real crime scene and all this sort of shit right and Mm -hmm. so genuinely as an audience member it is impossible to gauge how on the level anyone is it is impossible to gauge how much they actually have come to care for this person they're now undercover with or are just putting on fucking airs, you know? And it it gives you that Donnie Brasco tension of like, I want this to be happy for everyone, you know? I like these two actors together. I want to connect this to Fast 10. Yeah. I mean, Fast 9, F9. F9. What... The, the the joke of F9, mm-hmm. for again, people who like don't really like the movie and, or don't really like the franchise and watch mm-hmm. them the wrong way, is they go to space. Yeah. But what you must remember about this film and this franchise is it is a funda- fundamentally a wish fulfillment franchise. Correct. Correct. And the end of this first movie and the end of this fourth movie are both wish fulfillment. The yeah. wish fulfillment that, 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 that the, the connection that you know can't be real yeah. is real. 
Okay. And that's what's so beautiful uh-huh. about it. Okay, so I want to tie two more things to this. <laughs> this is like the spider web. If someone yes, tried yes. to map out every time I go, okay, like great. That's, <laughs> that's four things I want to bring back in from here. I always think of that Simpsons when uh, when the, the garbage is overflowing. Yes. And Bart just staples the, pana- the banana peel on the yeah. side so he doesn't have to take it out. Yeah. It's like, just keep stapling no, no, the banana it's, peel. It part, let me just add a couple more banana peels here. No, but I think here two linked things why these two sequences work the end of this one and and the space sequence right the thing that i I, that stuns me the most in how they pulled off the space sequence which i think they fully do and that had been i think it was seen as an inevitability Mm -hmm. it was sort of a joke that became like but they actually are going to do it at some point right there's only so much they can do there's only so far they can escalate it's inevitable it has to happen and then it becomes how do you do this and not break the reality of these movies right the reality of these films is already tenuous but you want some sort of emotional logic you know to these people agreeing to do this to these people being the ones who need to do this why would any car need to be in space like oh you know (laughs) this sort of shit like you do need to they're not going to enroll in nasa right like all these things do sort of matter, and I, I was very kind of dubious about them pulling it off. And then I, I had heard, like, whispers from friends of friends of friends who knew people who were, like, in development on the movie saying, like, this is what I've heard how they're going to handle the space thing. And it's like they're just a little bit out, you know, in the atmosphere, and they're <laughs> in a car. So they're, like, not in a spaceship at this and that. And I was like, visually, that sounds like the right thing, but, like, still, how do you build up to that moment? Whatever, 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 right? Yeah. When they're strapped to the rocket, I'm like, okay, I'm loving that they're going for this, but can you land this? Can you land this? The thing that fucking works is that that moment out of nowhere, the thing in the backpack that you had already like thought you threw out ends up being the culmination of this arc that they, I think, very smartly weave into that movie of Roman starting to become self-aware of the weird rules of this universe. Yeah. And you have this sort of joke plot line of he thinks he's invincible. He keeps on putting himself into danger. Everyone's dispelling it. That's kind of resolved, right? Or so you think. Sort of. Right. And then in the car, he has this moment where Tyrese, who has gone on to just become the comic relief of this franchise, right? Like the most Mm -hmm. ridiculous, emotionally unstable character uh, in the, in the family gets pretty like sober and focused as they cut back to the fucking action on the ground silent right just scored Mm -hmm. by pretty like modest music and roman just has this moment of clarity and he's like look you're probably right none of this means anything (laughs) (laughs) like it's completely i don't know why we're still alive i don't know why we've done these things it's probably irrelevant we're probably just lucky we're probably about to die. Yeah. But shouldn't we just yeah. go all it, the it, way? It's and it's crazy. like this moment of the characters having to be like, fuck, yes, I do want to be an F9. I want to be an F9. <laughs> you know, it's like this moment yeah. where you need Dude. them to convince the audience that we can go along with them by having the characters go like, has this gone too far? But can and, I just and, say that, that And they pull that it is... out of the meta shit and Roman just goes like, it's probably all meaningless. But we've come this far and I'm here with you. Shouldn't we fucking drive this car into a satellite? (laughs) 
But can I just say, I agree 100% yeah. with you. And I would also say that it's why the submarine, as much fun yes. as the final thing at the end, at the end of F8 is fun. Emotionally untethered. Completely untethered from, from anything. It's just a visual Whereas, idea. It's just a visual idea. And that feels to me like the Justin Lin element yes. to a certain degree as well, yeah. I would assume. Right. Which is that like he comes back to the series, he's doing these three films, mm-hmm. and you can just feel that there's a weight, there's the emotional language that's back into this series. Uh-huh. It's it's that course correct that we were speaking of earlier where it just feels like somehow they stick the landing on the space stuff when it should not work. I, I think it's he's got a great so, compass on this yeah. shit, and I think he and Vin balance each other out really well with their yeah. instincts. It's, yeah. it's so perfectly calibrated. Yeah. It is yeah. That's fan service too, but in a way that doesn't feel insulting, doesn't no. feel like it's over the top. To, I, 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 I'm, all, I'm almost amazed. And then you talk about like the characters wanting to be an F9, because this yeah. is now, this is my, like, my, my current thing, which yeah. is like, why not? What not? Why do the characters want to be an F nine? Sure. Like, why do people keep going after massive success? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Why keep doing it? Right. If we're a capitalist society and everybody has to eat, if you can eat for the rest of your life and all that, why keep doing it? Sure. Well, what part of me? I mean, it sounds glib, but part of me says, "Well, what else are you going to do?" Right. Right. But I mean that. I mean that in the opposite way, which is sitting on my couch. I, I've sat on my couch enough in my life mm-hmm. to know that uh, that's an easy way to like be really bored and be really miserable sure. and really depressed. And the most important thing you could do is get out and do things. Yeah. And if you can, if, if you have the opportunity to be in fast nine, and I'm talking about, if you have the opportunity to be someone like Roman Pierce yeah, and go on the fast nine missions, that's so fucking cool. But that's like, you owe it to yourself to do yeah, it. Yeah. If you, if you think about what is going on in that character in that soliloquy he delivers in a rocket-powered car before driving into a submarine, right? He's essentially saying, I went from being the tough guy in these movies to being yeah. the fucking Joe Pesci, right? Like the guy in the backseat who fucking freaks out and hates— Talking about a lethal weapon? Yeah, and like hates that he's in these movies, right? Like his role is to be like, what are we doing? This is a bad idea. Absolutely yeah. not. Yeah. Like he's the brakes in this franchise. Yeah. And then in nine, he goes through this whole thing of like, wait, if I'm the logical one, everyone else is crazy, but they're all proven correct and I never die and things keep on escalating, then something greater is at play. And that final moment is, and I find this very profound, him just going like, no, maybe this is all arbitrary, but like, why not fucking live? Yeah. Why not live? Why be scared of this shit? Like, I'm, I, I cannot find solace in there being some greater plan for me and some greater meaning to this. But also, what am I going to do? Not fucking. But drive it also the car feels it's like it's like you said, where he's the brakes and then he becomes the gas in yes. them, right? Like yeah. he becomes the guy yeah. that's like, fuck it, we got to do it. Like yeah. That, that's yeah. It's it's the irony so, of the whole thing. And Phil, I know this is one of your bed noirs, but the irony of the whole the whole thing is, had Paul Walker not died. They never would have played this Brian character like this because it's so antithetical to the talking to, about to him the, being off screen, like Vera, him being Vera's. off screen, yeah, him being like, yeah. quote unquote retired, yes, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. it's so antithetical to the spirit of this, where where Mia, yeah, is, is she's she's just in the bullpen ready to go. That's when the you thing. Need I, I would absolutely believe Mia staying at home as a parent, never coming out into the battlefield ever again. And Brian, as he's set up as a character, it does not make sense. 
But once again, you speak to the weird one foot in, one foot out understanding of the audience Mm -hmm. combined with the emotional logic that they're tracking with these movies. They're doing the calculation that I think they were 100% correct about, which is whether or not it ever would have been written that way were he still alive. Mm -hmm. It felt right to me too. It would be more upsetting to an audience to kill the character off and not give him a happy reality because the actor died than to say he's alive, he's really happy, he's right there in that box. I, I, I swear to I you, if you te- look under the box, he's there. The, yeah. I got teary-eyed when the, when the car pulled up. Yes. And, you know, for the majority of the movie, And you also was, go, please was, don't let him step out of the car. And they don't because they're smart. You don't want to see the creepy CGI guy. Yeah, you yeah. really don't. It's yeah. or, not, Ka- yeah. or, or, or Caleb Walker, who my wife used to date. Hey. Oh, that, so there we oh, go. Very there handsome we go. man. I know. So can I ask you out over this guy? I have a question for you, Griffin, just yeah. because obviously and then I want you're here. Tie this back to the end. We'll tie this back ended. up, but just yeah. very quickly, I, I, in terms of roads not taken, no pun intended. Sure. This film was originally supposed to be released on June twelfth, mm-hmm. two thousand and nine. Yeah, it was then pulled up to April third, two thousand and nine. Yeah. Had this film been released in June, do we think it does as well as it did? I, it's tough. I mean, look, the, the opening weekend of this movie was so bananas. And like, I do want to talk, we'll do the box office yeah. game very quickly, but, which I'm sure you know. But it, but it was it was like, I, I, w- I would say double the highest estimate of what it would do. Like, it wasn't just like, yes. oh, that overperformed. It was like overperformed by tens of millions of dollars. Yes. So yes. I think clearly there was uh, a, a love for these characters in that original film that had been uh, uh, and, and, and sort of unrecognized. Yes. Um, I certainly think it helped that it was released at a time with like no competition. I mean, and it I, opens up April. Yes. It makes April like a month where you can release a movie like this. Right. Which also largely happens because the Fast and Furious movies start to stay in that Correct. zone. You know, right. I mean, they, yeah. they, they kind of keep on going like, should we do a summer release? And this one ended up coming out June, obviously. But most of them have been April movies from from here on out. Um, I, I, I think, yes, like, I think the success was so huge and so unexpected that it could not have just been timing. And that has been borne out by the following films. But I think to be able to go like, oh, they made a fourth Fast and Furious movie. What's that going to open to 20 best case scenario? And then opens to 70. Yeah. Certainly made everyone Huge. sit the fuck Huge. up. Well, that, when that really mattered, too. That was right. wild. Right. And yeah. then it, you're doing 70 in April. Immediately then they go like, I guess Fast Five has a $100 million budget. Like, it changes the next movie. It's just, I just, it, it's one of those things where, I, you know, the summer of 2009 wasn't stacked for all intents and purposes, no. which I'm sure you know. Like, it yeah. had a couple bright spots, but for the most part, you had Star Trek in right. there. Star Trek's like the things. big May movie. But, yeah. Right, but like 2008 was huge and nine was kind of thin. So yeah. who knows if this film might have performed in June? It might have, I, I th- but I do think yeah. April gives it a runway. Yes, and I think, yes, it just, wow, that immediately makes Universal take notice and go, we need to put more money into these movies and also yes. people care about the past of these movies. Justin Lin, bring back any fucking characters you want. So and you've got to give... Yeah, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I've... With, let's keep keep on this, but with my last 10 minutes, I want to talk about the end of this movie. Yeah. Uh, sure. And I, I, go for it. Let me, let me Griff, speed around a couple cool, things very quickly no, no, Griff, while you're Griff, here. If you're yeah. cool, yeah. I'm going to blow and you can hang with Phil for okay, a little more. But I th- I'll talk th- th- with I, I think we'll yeah. we'll still we'll work towards uh, the end of the runway. 
But um, I, I, I think, you know, in my mind's eye, when I uh, ranked this movie lower, you know, uh, I, I think I weirdly, and it's weird sometimes just how movies stick in your brain in an incorrect way. You sort of like rewrite them or re-edit them in your head. I remembered like most, if not all of the action sequences feeling as sort of gummy and plasticky as the final action set piece in this, which is really bad. The tunnel sequence that looks like a fucking like arcade racing game at a movie theater. Yes. You know, like a lot of tunnels. Yeah. Like an old one. And it's just, it looks bad. It's not practical, which I think Lynn really puts his foot down about on the next movie. Uh, you know the the bank uh, vault in Fast Five is a great case for like yeah. the the value there is that they were in the real fucking streets doing this. Um, that looks really gummy and shitty, and because of that, it just kind of is lacking in stakes. The movie sort of like loses a lot of tension there at that point. It's also weird this movie's reliance on driving backwards as if that's a trick that's equally as impressive as drifting. <laughs> <laughs> right it's just like okay he, i don't i don't even drive and even i'm not impressed by that um but i think all the emotional stuff works as we said i think that that sort of dual courtship narrative of brian winning back both of these people and both of these toretto's learning to accept brian again really works for me uh i i think like gal gadot's a great example of just being like no reason to bring this character back except this actor's kind of like over over delivering there's yeah. something there. Why not figure out some new role to put her in? Which is like it just speaks to that. John also Ar- healed the face, like no, yes. no problem, and just yes. she, she, she makes sense. They were all yeah. kind of on the same time anyway. Yeah, I, I, I thought that was really cool. Too. Uh, John Ortiz, I think, gives a good performance in this, but it's the thing they start to correct on the next movie, which is oh, you need villains that either are equally good at driving, equal physical threats, or both, right? Like, it, you mm-hmm. can't just have it be a colorful crime boss again. It can't just be a guy, like, chewing some scenery because you need yeah. someone to be able to get into the dirt with um, them. Uh, even but Luke I, Evans isn't even the greatest villain. He's I, not the it, great, but but it's yeah. like you see them doing the but calculations. Yeah. You know, my, my, my friend who's a massive fan just is Owen Shaw obsessed. Really? Wow. Yeah. Interesting. That scene with him and with him and, and Dom outside yeah. in London. Yeah. When they had their tete a tete. Like he thinks it's like the greatest scene of the uh wow. of the interesting. All right. to rewatch six too. Um okay, but so those are my speed round notes, just so I'm not skipping over uh, <laughs> uh basics of this movie that we've talked around for a lot. Uh but I do think the the opening uh, tanker heist sequence is incredible. It's, great. it's, it's great. so yeah. fucking good. Uh so good. it's it's really Lynn showing like, hey, and if you give me more yeah. money, I could do this for the whole movie, you know? Yeah. Um, but then, and it brings you right back to what was so cool about the first one. Yes, like yes, those, totally. those uh, on the road heists were just so incredible. Yeah, and again, it, you know, kind of taught me to watch this franchise wrong. Yeah, yeah. Um, because I did think it was about the whiz bang, which you know, I didn't. Again, it's in your both, backpack, you gotta you gotta that. be looking at it with two sets of eyes simultaneously. But then you yeah. get to this ending, right? This final set piece, everything kind of like blows up. Brian uh, gets outed. Dom realizes that he was following Letty. Then Brian reveals that Letty reached out to Brian. Correct. Which I guess happens before then Brian gives Letty Dom's whereabouts in Los Bandoleros. Um, Letty's death does, still doesn't make sense to me. I'm still not clear as to who actually killed her at this point. No. and, and, and look, Almost killed her. It's one of those Whatever. things where when they bring her back, 
at the, six. the teaser at the end of five, right? And yeah. I go like, well, yes, emotional logic, I want her back, but how do you explain this? I love that their explanation is like, I don't know, no one saw it and the people were lying. <laughs> yeah, like- it is funny where I was like, but there's that whole death sequence. How are they going to explain that she's alive? And it's like, oh, right, the death sequence is Dom goes to a site and touches skid marks on the side of the road. Yeah. Yeah. And he so visualizes it. He, has he like manifests a, it. Right. It's, it's 9 p.m. CBS procedural yeah. powers where he can see the crime. Always protecting themselves. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's incredible. Um, yeah. But I mean, yes, Han's is another example I, of that too, obviously. But this is another one where it's like, I, I, bring I, I, Han back for one scene. It is really fan service to just tie him in and like go like, oh, look, and now he's going to Tokyo. And that's just like, I don't know, audiences like Han so much. What if we just keep on putting off Tokyo Drift? Like, why the fuck not? Why does Han oh, come man. back from the dead? Because no one wanted him dead in the first place. It was a mistake. They made it six movies it ago. You know, yeah. whatever. Who cares? It's a mistake. Uh, and like, once again, if you can emotionally justify it, which I yeah. think they do, why would Han not tell them that he had been alive this whole time? Because he had another family member to protect. Like, that's the whole thing. It works, right? But this yeah, fucking ending. trap. Right. You have this... <laughs> And chase sequence that kind of sucks. It's like a letdown because yeah. it's just kind of plasticky. It, this is the one sequence that looks kind of sure. direct to video to me, right? And just feels like it doesn't have spatial geography at this point. I lose my investment in the world, whatever. Uh, drive backwards, jumping, whatever. And then, oh, oh right. And and so when Brian and Dom have their their flare up, you know, yeah. and uh, the whole time it had been like, you give us Toretto, you give us Toretto. He goes in and finally feels like he has the leverage. I can bring you the guy. Toretto has to walk. I made you the deal. And he keeps on saying it to Toretto. And Toretto's like, okay, you put out milk and cookies for Santa Claus. Why would I fucking... You're still dumb enough to believe that they're never, ever, ever going to let me go. Right? I'm, I'm like dirt to them. Yeah. They, will, they fundamentally view me as a different type of person. You don't get it. You're this pretty boy cop. You're choosing to be in these movies. I am not. I was born into this franchise, right? Like that's kind of the the subtext of the whole thing. Mm-hmm. But it, the promise keeps on getting repeated. Final thing happens. They, uh, you know, they they rush in. They handcuff Dom. No immunity. Immunity. We made a deal. We made a deal. He's got to get processed, right? And you're sort of going like. Wait, what? Did they break the movie? Like, how could you do this? This has already been going on for like... Oh, it's beautiful. Right. Because I do... I remember this point going like, what fucking ending does this have now? Because there can't be another 45 minutes resolving this. And if they're not going to take 40 minutes to resolve it, then why do the fake out? Like, what's going on here? Then you fucking cut to courtroom, right? Everyone's testifying. You're like, what's going on? What are they doing? What's the plan here? And like, uh, you know, Dominic Toretto has fully redeemed himself the eyes of the law, cooperation, this and that. We don't give a shit. Right. You have the judge give the movie speech and then go, that having been said, he's an unrepentant criminal. He's been doing fucking hype for 10 years. (laughs) Thanks for help on this one thing. What are you talking about? I'm sorry. Too bad he's going to jail. And then you have this moment where fucking Vin stands up and starts screaming at him. In the middle of the courtroom, like, you fucking lied to me. You lied to me. I told you. I told you. And Mia's crying at this whole thing. And I, at this point, get scared. I'm like, is this what the fucking franchise is? is? Are they now setting up a fifth movie where, once again, Brian has to earn his trust again? You know, like, I, I think I'm out in this moment. I think they've fucked it up <laughs> beyond repair. And then you just have... 
You have Dominic Toretto in the prison transport bus, right? And he's just fucking looking out the window, depressed as shit. Like, he lost. He's done. He he what? He he got the rights back to Riddick. <laughs> he wrestled back control of the Fast and Furious franchise, but for what? What was the what was the point, right? And then it's so elegantly done, but just the the low in the mix. The, mm, <laughs> and you just see everyone else on the bus look out the window on the opposite side and all start like tapping each other. And they're tapping him and he's too depressed. He's not looking. He doesn't want to look at any of this shit, right? And he looks over and it's, is it Brian first and then Mia? It's Brian first right. then Mia. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's, he looks and there, right there is Brian in a fucking 10 second car. There on the other side is Mia in a 10 second car. She's driving too now. They are fucking together. Had she never driven before this? No, not really. So. Yeah, not really. Okay. So it's like that feels like a huge move. The fact yeah. that they are fully unified means that like he stayed. He's really there for her. But beyond mm-hmm. that, he's there for Dom. And in that yeah. one moment, non-verbally, the look exchange between the two of them is like, I told you you weren't going to fucking jail. I'm a man of my word. I am not going to betray you again. Uh, you better welcome him with open arms because I'm a criminal for the rest yeah. of my fucking life now. <laughs> and that's what gets me emotionally is that it's the whole fucking family thing. But it's this idea of just like, Brian wants to make it clear that like, it's real. It matters. He loves Dom. He loves Mia. He's here to stay. And if he has to spend the rest of his life on the lamb to do so, then so fucking be it because he made a promise. And yeah. just Dom recognizing what's about to happen and then smiling and cut to black. It's a perfect ending. Not only does it make you go, I'll see 28 of these movies. I'm here. I'm locked in. This thing is set. Right? Even we're now at a point where Paul Walker's dead and Brian exists in a box for the rest of the movie off camera. You know, like Woody holding up Buzz Lightyear's arm next to the window. <laughs> the, the the purity of that moment which can then be extended to any other character relationship which is just if a character in the family makes a promise to one another that is unbreakable right that that transcends everything else that becomes the fucking code for the rest of these movies but what i also love about it is if this movie had flopped if this movie had come out open to like 15 million dollars and done 45 and they went well yeah we probably should have gone direct to video it also works as a perfect ending. It actually does work as it, an ending. It to the works whole as a perfect ending. Yeah. Look, five, it starts up, they flip the bus over, they're off to the races. It's fucking fun as shit. But if they never made another Fast and Furious again, the arc is complete by the mere fact that Brian shows up. So obviously, Fast and Furious is number one. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming, do you know what number two was in the box office? Uh, April 3rd, 2009, an infamously uh, a, a huge flop. Hmm. Um, uh god what can i, I say about this film that has because i've talked about how different my my movie going it is an animated film so i'd be surprised if you haven't seen it yeah uh uh it also sort of connects back if i'm not mis- oh no that's not it. um reese witherspoon is the voice in this film oh is it monsters versus aliens monsters versus aliens yeah okay. uh which uh a, a 200 million dollar animated film that uh basically made its money back uh that, that, the, sec- that's, the, the dreamworks movies were so weird for a run there because they would do like five of them a year they were mm-hmm. all successful but they were all so expensive that they all lost money 
<laughs> like they yeah. he couldn't transcend to like the Pixar threshold where like adults are going to see it and it's making yes, twice it as much and it's now profitable. But yes. also the movie would come out and people would go like, okay, and he'd be like, cool. So I have 60 episodes of a TV show that premieres in a week. You all want to see this? Like they were, they were just so front-loaded with all of the spinoff material. Um, I also get Monsters and Aliens uh, confused with uh, Mars Needs Moms. Yes. Those that, feel like that's the same the, movie yes, in my brain. No, that's the one that's like the colossal flop. Yeah. That's the one that uh, uh, kicks uh, Zemeckis off the Disney lot. Mar- uh, Monsters vs. Aliens was notable for being, I, I believe, I'm not mistaken, the first DreamWorks 3D movie. Because uh, Katzenberg was so early on the push for, for 3D that that was the first one. Then Avatar comes out later this year. Yes, yes 2009 and then, with Michelle Rodriguez. Yeah. Right. And then the following spring, a year after this, uh, How to Train Your Dragon comes out. And that's when Katzenberg's like, see, I told you, let's make every single movie 3D right. and let's make the surcharge $5 instead of $1.50. And what a surprise, Jeffrey Katzenberg uh, went too hard on a bad business idea and drove really? it into the ground prematurely. Yep. Uh, the third place this weekend is a horror film. Um, I don't know much about it. I believe it's part of a franchise. Okay. Uh, it's got a place in the title. Mm-hmm. Um, it is, uh, God, I mean, I'm trying to think of, of who's in this movie. Cause I honestly don't know. Uh, give me one minute here. Perfect okay. It is. Oh boy. Uh, Virginia Madsen's in this film. Uh, it's a Lionsgate is, franchise. Is this, uh, uh, if I have the wrong one, but I have the right franchise, tell me. Yes, I'm sure you do. Is this a haunting in Connecticut? It is haunting in Connecticut. Okay, okay. Uh, I think fourth, that's the first one. Yeah, I okay. believe it's the first one. Yeah. Uh, the fourth film is um, a. It's a Nicolas Cage movie that I feel like a lot of people don't really like. Knowing? It doesn't really exist. Yes, that's that's exactly. What but but weirdly a big hit. Like I. Proyas film, right? Alex it's Proyas, a Proyas film. Yeah. Roger Ebert gave it like four stars, and it's like the only positive review it got. Um, it's also like shot in Australia, so it has no other American actors at it, in it. And at the time, it was like that's weird. Why is Nicolas Cage in a movie with no one else? Like yep. usually, yep. if a big star's in a movie, the supporting cast has people you yep. recognize. But guess what? The second and third build people in that movie turned out to be Rose Byrne and Ben Mendelsohn. So we were all wrong. <laughs> it's also called Knowing. I mean, yeah. that's a terrible title. It's I mean, a, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's a, a bizarre title. fucking movie, but uh, but was a big hit. It was sort of the last uh, pre-ironic Nicolas Cage hit. Pro- yes, that feels right. That feels right. Yeah. Uh, number five is a comedy. Um, with two big names in comedy, mm-hmm. uh, two male actors. It's a buddy movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I actually quite like this film, although I haven't seen it in a while, so it's hard to say. Mm-hmm. People think it's a Judd Apatow movie, but it's not. Is it Blades of Glory? No. Um, it's... Hmm. Oh, uh, oh, 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 oh. It's I Love You, Man. It is I Love You, Man. Yes, yes. Uh, which I think is... I mean, I remember liking that film, but I don't know how... I, I like that movie. I, I also I would be curious about the rewatch. I mean, uh, uh, you know, Rogan said this in an interview recently, but it's like, to some degree, if you're doing comedy correctly, it might not hold up well. Not because <laughs> that's, you that's want fair. to be doing tasteless things, but because comedy right. tends to be so much more of the moment. 
mm-hmm. than mm-hmm. any other uh, genre. That like that's part of the the fucking cost of doing business is like. <laughs> you're, that's true. I think this yeah. movie. I remember just thinking, is this going to be a giant gay panic joke? And it's not. It's like, not. It's actually. It's, it's not. It's actually got a lot more heart, and it's and a lot smarter. I think both of them are so good in it. I'm such a Rudd fan. That's sort of like the best kind of pure Rudd comedy maybe i mean i love wanderlust but wanderlust is so weird which that's is, a really weird which i rewatched right. that movie is really weird really but weird. i still really really like it yeah um so in terms of fast and furious just very quickly i um, I, I just want to say quickly too i guess it must yeah. have been in fewer theaters mm-hmm. i don't know if it was limited release or if like and was still platforming or if it had dropped off or whatever but i was not planning on going to see this movie in theaters i mean maybe i would have gotten around to it eventually probably after that trailer but uh, I went to the movies with a group of friends, and this was not our intent. And Adventureland was sold out. <laughs> and then it was like, I, I don't know, fa- yeah. Fast, Fast Ampersand Furious. And uh, I, I, almost every Fast and Furious movie since then I have seen with at least one of those people I saw this movie with in theaters. That's awesome. Like that's kind of the core group where we're checking in with each other. Some of us moved across the country and whatever. <laughs> But it's like there's that's that's my Fast and Furious family. I feel like this movie has a lot of influences in it, mm-hmm. I, in the sense that like the the fight or sorry the 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 foot chase between Brian and the guy at the top. Oh, of the movie. yeah, which I also think is a good sequence, but is very much the let's do our parkour. Right? Like, it's right. very born. It's yes. got that sort of influence to it. Um, it's that, got a little heat in it. Yes, it feels like there's yeah. a little Michael Mann kind yeah. of component. I, I think, obviously, uh, Fast Five has some heat yeah. in it as well, maybe maybe more so. Yeah. But I just feel like, even just in the casting, you mentioned John Ortiz, who isn't... He's probably not right, and I get all the reasons why he's not right as a villain in this franchise, but I still think John Ortiz is really good in this movie. I agree. Oh, I agree. I, I think he gives a very good performance, and I like that he comes back in six. It's more that just like, if you're thinking bigger franchise, this is probably not the type of character yes, correct, you correct, can correct. compellingly build a movie around. When they do the twist in this movie that like, oh, it turns out he yeah. was the main guy, you just kind of go like, yeah, of course, right, who cares? <laughs> yeah. Fine. They bring him back, so. though. Is it in six? They bring him back in back? six. Yeah, and I, I yeah. Yes, yes. Um, I, I, I think they maybe have more plans for him if Walker hadn't died, is right. what I heard. Yeah. I, I just, I feel like, just while I have you, I feel yeah. like just the bench is deep when it comes to character actors that they mm-hmm. have in this in this franchise. I mean, Shea Wiggum, who I always love Shea Wiggum. Yeah. I wish she was in more things. He's great in this. His nose in Fast 9 is hilarious. Unbelievable, yeah. <laughs> I mean, unbelievable. Yeah. Um, but then you brought up uh, Gal Gadot earlier, and I feel mm-hmm. like we didn't really talk about her much. I, I want to kind of ask you, do you think she comes back? Like, do you think that there is a world where she comes back in 10 or 11? Because, like, Wonder Woman 1984 didn't exactly set the world on fire. And I can't no. say that Gal Gadot has a much of a career outside of Wonder Woman at this stage. Not to say that she can't. But she doesn't yet. I I think she's she's in a very interesting career position right now, <laughs> yes. uh, and you know I I think uh, uh, dollars to donuts. I think Wonder Woman three probably does happen, even if it was not yes. very well liked. It was at least got enough attention, and that character's too fucking big for them to not sure. take another bite at the apple. And they so badly wanted to make sure they didn't get stuck waiting eight years while Godot and Jenkins are, made other projects that they put those deals in place but uh 
the other things she has in <laughs> the can right now, I don't know about. I like her. Is this the Apple show? Or there's there's a a fucking Ryan Reynolds rock art heist movie, like global art heist movie. And then she's in the fucking Branagh Death Death in the Nile. Nile. Like all this shit. I'm just like, I don't know. And I think she has done some things in terms of her public reputation that have soured people on her in a couple different ways. Things that you almost would think like are are contradictory. Oh, you hate this person because they seem aloof and disconnected and also politically wrongheaded? Like, she seems oblivious to the state of the world and also weirdly Correct. too invested at the same time. Uh-huh. Um, I, I, I am curious. I think it would do wonders for her career if she showed up in 10 or 11 of Fast and Furious. And I don't say that in a derogatory sense about her choices. I just yeah. mean, like, it would be a great, like, resurgence and a great, like, cool thing for her to do. But I, I don't know if you do it. I agree. It makes it makes me wonder. It also is one of those things where it's like, is that the happy ending we want for Han? Like, I right, mean, right, right. Look, Han's return was spoiled in the trailers and everything, right? And the trailers came out a fucking year ago because of the <laughs> pandemic. So we all knew Han was back in this movie for a while, yes. and yes. yet seeing it uh, in theaters the other night, um, the audience applauded when Han's photo came up on the screen yeah. they applauded yeah. when he was revealed behind the gun they applauded when he walked into the headquarters again like yep. he just is the character we all like the most he really is in kind of an inexplicable yeah. way and i think people want the best for him and they're very happy that he's alive again yeah and it's nice that he's got his family with this uh young uh, uh surrogate daughter character now but yeah, I don't know what that's about. I don't sure. know. But but it's also like, here's the other thing with Han is like part of his character is his weird loner thing. To some degree, I think we could all shoulder she was the great love and he's the, the stalwart cowboy. Yeah. And, you know, he'll never get over her and he lives his life by his code and whatever. Um, it's, it's interesting because I do think probably two years ago they would have gone like, fuck, I can't believe we killed her off. She's Wonder Woman now. How do we get her back? And she would have said, absolutely not. And now we might be in the exact opposite position where, especially because Han's back, they're like, we might not need you anymore. (laughs) You know? (laughs) But but wouldn't you also say too, in Nine, you've got a moment with Mm -hmm. Kurt Russell saying... You know, I worked with Giselle. I've I've faked deaths that, bigger than yours. Sure, sure. I also think. Look, I also think there's a good chance they shoot. Giselle has a big set piece that takes place at a different point in the timeline. That there right, is a right. new sequence that fills in the gap somewhere. Right. Uh, but yes, look, anything is in bounds at this point. <laughs> Truly, yeah. Uh, so I, 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 one last thing, which is mm-hmm. that at the end of this film, Brian is beaten up by Fenix yeah. and then <laughs> from the ground holds onto his leg so that he is T-boned by Dom driving the car. Correct. I can't help but feel like that's a really kind of a metaphor for Brian in this series. <laughs> like, it just feels like he's the guy who's like, Dom's in a car. He's clearly the hero. And yeah. Brian is this this kind of grounded, believable. He's like the real guy. Yes. If that the, makes sense. Yes. And it's like he's the outsider. He's the one who doesn't belong in this world, right? He's the right. one who chose it. Right. Uh, which is why we like him because he does ultimately choose it. But uh, uh, the great Emily Vanderwarf did a, an amazing piece for Vox on the whole. Yes. 
franchise and mm-hmm. what the themes are and why people like it and all 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 of it. It was like the best kind of comprehensive piece of the entire phenomenon I've, I've read from anyone. And, and a dialogue on the chronology. Oh, that so good. When you see it all laid out, you're yeah. like, my God, it Incredible. makes sense. Incredible. And that's even without like being like Bandoleros, Turbocharged Prelude. <laughs> yes, yes, is, yes. is Better Luck Tomorrow a prequel to... Wait, is Better Luck Tomorrow actually connected to these movies? Okay. People say that it is. Yes. And I, I mean, I... Sun, here's the thing. <laughs> Sung Khan is Han in Better Luck Tomorrow. Oh. Han is a very <laughs> mysterious character who speaks even less in Better Luck Tomorrow than he does in the other movies, right? Incredible. Yeah, okay. So, in an interview I read yesterday, Sung Kang was like, look, we did this movie together. Then he got hired to make a big new movie. He brought me on. We thought it would be kind of funny if it was the same character, or at least we gave him the same name. We did not think this was going to turn into this big thing. We did not think we would be here five movies later. Right. Like yada, yada, yada. And uh, whoever was interviewing him was like, so is it or isn't? He's like, look, contractually, that movie's owned by Paramount. (laughs) It's never officially going to be canon. Right, right, right. And if you ask me, like, you know, nodding heavily intense stare, I would say those two characters just share a spiritual bond and it's a fun in-joke. But like, you can absolutely read that movie as a prequel. There's nothing, I think, that bumps on saying that's who Han was as a teenager. That's that's amazing. So Um, in that case, you go like one, two, Bandoleros, four, five, Mm -hmm. six, uh, Right, yes, yeah, six, then... Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, Turbocharged Prelude, I'm sorry, between one and two. <laughs> <laughs> no, because then Better Luck Tomorrow probably happens the same time as one. Anyway, whatever. It's, yeah. it's crazy. The, it's th- crazy. the thing that Vanderwerf said, which I think she put very well, mm-hmm. is like he is, he is us in these movies, right? Like Brian's the square. He's the normal guy. And um, the thing that Justin Lin, I think... Uh, recognize the value of better than anyone is like what a good grounding element it is to have a shot of brian being like holy shit dom <laughs> you know both the look yes, on his face yes, and that yes. sort of delivery to be like this is crazy yeah. um yep. i i think you know as much as mia doesn't have a lot of meat in nine it is smart that lynn recognizes that she probably is the person who needs to serve that function and that eight was a little untethered without having someone do that. And if you watch, I've seen nine twice now. The second time I really paid attention to how much they use reaction shots of Mia over any other character because she is now the person who shouldn't be here, quote unquote. Right. Um, but but that is that is Paul Walker's whole role is like being a little more in than you always think he's going to be. The joy comes from like, God, he is part of the team. He is game. But also sticking out a little bit, only kind of being assist and being the guy that we can kind of relate to the most readily. Yeah, I mean, he also, you know, you mentioned this up top in terms of the, quite frankly, his acting in the first film, right? Yeah. Which is that he's pretty wooden, but he, yes. he has this everyman quality to him to a certain extent. And he's got, he's like, got an know, integrity on audience. screen. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so I, my last question, what, two, two quick questions. The first is, and, and I'm trying to sort of ask this delicately, but do you think that Paul Walker's death is part of what kind of puts this the, the, myth, the mythos of this franchise in a different light? And I think about, you know, Dark Knight, and which I think is a brilliant film, and I'm sure everybody would have loved it had Heath Ledger sure. lived. But his death 
kind of elevated it into this sort of next level, right? Like, yeah. does yeah. Dark Knight get Oscars? Does it get considered for these things? Right. Without Heath's death, yeah. I'm not. I, I'm not trying to say that 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 Universal did anything to try to you know monetize Paul Walker's death. I'm speaking but, but, more to. I just mean, like the, the fucking poster was the two of them looking funereal I mean, with a tagline "One mm-hmm. Last Ride." I mean, like, but but I look that often backfires. Yes, uh, it was dicey of them to do that. Yep, and it fucking worked. Not just commercially, is not only you know far and away the highest grossing uh, film in the series. But um, I think creatively, they thread that needle like perfectly. Yes. It's another ending that I just cannot fucking believe they pulled off. It I defies agree. all logic. I think it is truly the best any movie has ever handled an actor dying. Yep. It, in a way where you do not think that this would be the franchise that's equipped to deal with that. And it somehow, uh, once again, threads this needle where it is both uh, uh, – giving you an emotionally satisfying answer to what this franchise is doing with this character in the future while also eulogizing the actor, which should not work. I mean, they like just rip down the fourth wall and tell you that they're doing it, you know? Uh, And every character on screen, incredible, 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 but they also, I think are smart about stylizing it a little bit. So when he like shows up, he looks like a fucking angel. He does. You know, does. like they give him that glow where it's like, you know, this is unreal. You know, this is unnatural. Uh, and Dom is crying in a way he wouldn't be crying if he's just saying, hey, you should stay at home. Like that, there's there are those logic yeah. gaps in it that yes. don't make sense that you buy because the emotional reality of it is right. And it's what you mm-hmm. want to see. And it's what you want to hear. I do think the fact that they pulled that off yep. gives this franchise like puts it on sort of a legendary tier. I think yeah. when eight was a dip and Hobbs and Shaw felt like a dip as well, people were like, well, the mistake they made was not leaving well enough alone and not just ending it with seven. And I think nine has made it clear, like they know how to pull off a better ending for this entire thing mm-hmm. that they would not have been able to ram onto the end of seven just because Walker died. You know, there was yep. more to resolve there. I do think that totally, um, elevates it and i think to a certain degree it's like the dark knight question is one thing but the other bigger question is i feel like we'll all never be able to stop wondering what the third dark knight movie had been if heath ledger hadn't died right (laughs) and you always hear contradictory things of like how much the joker was or wasn't supposed Mm -hmm. to be in it but it's so clear that like fundamentally that's not the movie he would have made had the guy not died Right. Yep. And and Black Panther 2 is going to be another interesting situation like that, you know, yep. where it's like, if anything, the the legacy of, oh, my God, and then the guy died solidifies that movie in Amber. But also, if you're able to, like, keep it going after that and mm-hmm. not make it feel ghoulish, then you go like, well, now you're just like playing with house money. Like, how did you <laughs> fucking do this? You know? Yes, yes. So I think that I, that puts it on another tier. Yeah. I think I, I agree with everything you're saying. I think that that you know when I was watching these films, I knew that he died while making Seven. I didn't know how much of Seven had been shot. Yeah. So I watched the end of that film, and I was floored by how graceful yes. and how how beautiful it was. And you for, sit there the entire time. For this. No, yeah. you sit there the entire time, and like. You know, when I went to go see it in theaters and I went to uh, uh, my friend Pilot Virouette invited me to a screening. So I saw it a couple weeks early, largely because I was so 
fucking worried about having it spoiled for me that I just like set out the red alarm to all my critic friends to be like, please, I don't want right. to hear like a whisper. I was so fucking tense about how they were going to handle the Paul Walker situation. And um, you sit there the entire time and you go like, as you said, like, wait, how much of this did they shoot before he died? Like, how much footage can they possibly have left? At what point do they just have to kill him off on screen because there's nothing left? And I think you sit there the entire time going, like, they're going to kill him and it's going to suck. It's going to be bad. It's going to be yeah. like a body double for Carrie Fisher in a scene that doesn't really make yep. any sense, right? And A, they used the footage they had so well. Yes. They were really smart about the CGI pieces they needed to make things cohesive around the footage they had of him. There aren't really any scenes that are like whole cloth CGI Paul Walker. It's really just like, oh, you need him in the background of a shot to explain why he's not there. But any mm -hmm. sequence where he's really active is like shit that he shot stitched together with maybe some of the second unit stuff they didn't have or whatever. So when you get to that point where he survives and you're like, fuck, he made it through the whole movie. They shot the scene where he calls Mia and like says, I might not make it back, which is like the best acting he's ever done in the franchise. Like you're like, fuck, they had all of this. That's like incredible. So then when you get to the beach, you're just like, I don't know how if you, like it's really I mean, and it, it should also be said too, like James Wan, who I'm not a horror guy, so I have mm -hmm. not seen the, the the Conjuring films, quite liked all the sea crime of, of yeah, Aquaman, sure, obviously, sure. Um, who doesn't. But yeah. uh, I, I do. I just didn't really know what to expect. Yeah. And I'm watching Seven. There's a visual style that mm -hmm. James Wan brought that I really appreciated. It was a lot of fun to watch. It was an exciting. He's cool, a little cartoonier, but I think in a, a little bit good yeah. way. Yeah. But then to be handed this movie, and yeah. then to be handed this tragedy, yeah, and then to have to, you know, to to land that plane. Yeah. I mean, incredible stuff that he pulled it off. I it, mean, it's, truly, yeah, uh, truly stunning king shit. And <laughs> it's, it's crazy. And once again, like, look, I spent the last couple of years really questioning myself and going like. I really believe they could keep this franchise going. Was that wrong? Are they going to make four more of these movies to diminishing right. returns and it's going to be a ghoulish husk of what it was before? And yep. I, I think Lynn, much like when he came in for Ampersand and looked at all the pieces on the board and said, like, I know what to build with this and knew how to build beyond that for five. Mm -hmm. I think he was able to, like, look at all the pieces in the board from seven and eight and Hobbs and Shaw and go, like, I know how to make this mean something again. So my last question is sort of a dual-pronged question. I I've heard some rumors that uh, that there are some Fast and Furious television shows mm -hmm. that are going to be put into development, perhaps for Peacock or something along those lines. There's there's the uh, Netflix animated series uh, Fast and Furious right. Spy Racers, which is weird. <laughs> That's all I'll say. I, I, I'm, I'm shocked. Yeah. Um, so this my, my question is this. Uh, we're going to get these three films. Yeah. And that'll be the end of the of the OG cast and yeah. and the the franchise. Undoubtedly, there'll be spinoffs and more, maybe Hobbs and Shaw's movies or whatever the case sure. might be. Um, and now this potential television shows. Do you think like one of the reasons that I think that this series has been so successful, why this fan base is so perhaps lacking in in toxicity, mm -hmm. is that the mythology that it exists in is pretty grounded mm -hmm. and. It's it's not that deep, and I don't say that in a shitty way. No, but it's just, contained, right? Yes. So yes. this idea of trying to do television shows, where I'm just like, I don't think you maybe understand 
what people love about this I, franchise. I would agree. Uh, similarly, there, there's been the rumor circulating that Universal wants to find a way to combine Jurassic Park and Fast and Furious. Who knows <laughs> how that's serious that is? I'm sure someone's pitched it, you know? For sure. For um, sure. All of that stuff makes me think that they don't fucking understand th- this thing. Yeah, <laughs> right. 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 I, look, all of that has worried me. The The relief I have right now is that it seems like wisely they are fast-tracking, no pun intended, <laughs> getting 10-1 and 10-2 yeah. <laughs> done before all else. Like, even the fact that those right. two movies are, are happening before Hobbs and Shaw 2, before yeah. this all-lady spinoff that they've talked about, or this prequel or whatever, I'm just like, like, like it's Star Wars, Right. If you can resolve the Toretto family saga, right? Or let's just say, because it might go generationally. If you can resolve the Dominic Toretto saga, right? Then I'm just like, at that point, if you want to make any other fucking movies with the name of the thing on them and whatever tenuous connection, I kind of, fine. Like, God go with you, right? Like, maybe not for me. Maybe I'll enjoy them. Who knows? You know, Hobbs and Shaw irks me because it feels like, it is doing shit that potentially disrupts the stuff that's already going on on the other timeline. Mm-hmm. If Vin's gotten to end this thing the way he wants to and Lynn's gotten to end the, this thing the way they want to, whatever they do past that point, I'm pretty okay with, you know? And I feel like best case scenario, it's like fucking Mandalorian and they find weird pockets and weird like, right. what if this type of character was in this type of universe and this does tie in, but this stuff is new and whatever. And like, worst case scenario it's this fucking netflix cartoon show that's super weird that is it's right it's just like a bad version of gi joe a real american hero (laughs) well it's funny because i just watched uh and this will make sense in a second i just watched the first terminator the other day Mm. for the first time in a long time and the second one as well and the terminator series is another series similar to this one where i think they thought there was more gas in the tank forgive the pun than there actually was yeah and i i'm 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 not convinced that and listen Maybe Vin's got plans, and I'm not suggesting that he doesn't, that could extend outside of the films that he's in. Uh, I'm sure he's got some more books with locks, perhaps, of things that they might have to pay for or what have you. I guess my question to you is more, do you think that that this mythology has the flexibility that perhaps Universal does? Because if... I don't, I don't, I don't look. Because Hobbs and Shaw seems to prove otherwise. Yeah, exactly. I don't, uh, you know, maybe they'll prove me wrong. And I think if they prove me wrong, it probably will be by doing something different that I hadn't even thought of, you know? Right. By by thinking non-literally about what a Fast and Furious movie could be and making something that perhaps is not what I love about Fast and Furious, but is entertaining or valid in some kind of way. And the reason I give them that benefit of the doubt is because look at fucking Tokyo Drift, right? Which on paper was just like, what is this? Neither of the two guys are in it. This is fucking nothing. And it's ended up being not only like beloved, excuse me, as on its own as an entry, but being this like important cornerstone of the whole thing where I'm like, who's to say they couldn't do that tomorrow? The reason I doubt it is I think, now there's too much pressure on it. And as we're talking, as we've been talking about sort of the weird organic nature that this whole thing developed out of nowhere, I don't know if you can generate it again in a lab. I don't know if you can go, oh, we just want to make a little one. It's Tokyo Drift and not overthink it, you know, or not say we have to burden it with 8,000 connections and it has to fill in this gap. I mean, you know, it's another one of these things where I think they'll go like, oh, fans love when the things tie back in. But do it the wrong way, you know, 
They'll answer mm-hmm. the wrong questions. They'll bring back the wrong characters. Like that's my most cynical belief. But if if Vin gets to do Vin and Lynn get to do ten eleven, what it ten to right before then, then I'm then it's like you know fine because to right. some degree I feel like that's weirdly the nature of all of this franchise shit these days is just like you can't be precious about it you can't be precious about it as a fan and you can't be precious about it as a creator because ip is just like too fucking valuable for them and they view it as ip now that's the term they've come up with to devalue it as storytelling to just treat it like a product and they go why would we stop selling coca-cola that's our key ip you know so for me it's like my thing is just i only get protective of like i would love to see the people i love get to do the thing that they wanted to do on their terms and not have that interfered with. And if they feel like they got to say what they had to say, then anyone else can do whatever the fuck they want with it. Because like, unlike star Wars fans who start petitions to say that like the last Jedi should be removed from Canon. It's like, if you don't like a movie, then you just don't watch it. It doesn't exist. Like whatever, you know? Yep. Uh, and over time, like, you know, you might come to respect certain elements of it. It's fine. I understand that, like, Last Jedi is more sensitive to people because it's playing with these pieces that have this deep history than something like Rogue One, where you're setting up new characters and whatever. So that's my thing. It's like, if they want to make shit like Rogue One, make shit like Rogue One, you know? I, I totally agree. And I, I would also say, too, and you mentioned this at the very beginning of the episode, and it's worth saying again, you know, that 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 good art evolves with you, yeah, right? Yes. You're a changing, evolving individual and yeah. a movie that you might have liked 10 years ago, you might not like today and vice versa. I mean, I think that that's an incredibly important thing for fandom. I've yeah. been thinking a lot about fandom lately and why things mean so much to me and why yeah. it's so important that everyone like it along with me and it's just what it is when they don't. But right. this series has been a really interesting example of an evolving creature that you kind of jump on board at certain times and it, it, it just... Especially like I a, don't know. a fandom that is does not derive from nerd culture. You know? Correct. Like I said, Correct. we're like two nerdy white guys who like <laughs> love sure. pop culture sure. and have gone into this fucking career because of this and we're living in this weird climate where it's like oh, is this like a real monkey paw culture that we found ourselves in where everything I thought I wanted is now like yes. horrible? Um, but there's something yes. to the fact that like Fast and Furious was not driven by that kind of thing, that it really mm-hmm. is this kind of like franchise of the people, you know? Um, yeah. And just uh, to wrap this up, uh, yes, not please, that I want to fucking yeah, bag yeah. on it, but like yeah. here's a distinction for me. The Netflix show, which I have not watched the entirety of, right? I've watched most of the first season. I'm probably going to finish all of it now. Um, when, when I heard like, oh, DreamWorks is doing a Netflix Fast and Furious cartoon show. I went fucking great. Like what I want to see is the like 1980s action movie adaptation for Saturday morning TV. I want to see Robocop, the animated series or, or GI Joe is like what I want to see. Right. Mm -hmm. Where, especially because at the point that this was put in production, Walker had died. And I was like, oh, you could do an animated series in which Brian is still alive. It's not morbid. You can have the whole cast there. You can give them crazy technology. You can go to space. You can have them be Alpha Commandos or whatever, right? Like, I was like, just do that. Like, have a fun cartoon show for kids where you can just no rules apply anymore. Mm -hmm. It's just kind of gonzo, bright colored candy, like bullshit. In a good way. I say that in an endearing way. Of course, of course. And what I don't like about the cartoon show is it is about um, Dom's nephew, 
or cousin <laughs> and okay. his own parallel team of like super skilled teenagers oh. who get recruited by a different government agency and there's like a uh-huh. female Mr. Nobody analog and they're being sent out for missions or whatever. And mm-hmm. I'm just like, I really don't care about this if my family isn't in this, you know? Yes, like yes. this same milieu, the same style, aesthetic, even tone of cartoon show. It's not a masterpiece, but I would be with it if the characters are on screen were goofy cartoon versions of Roman and Tej and Letty sure. and Dom. And that's what makes me wonder how much success they'll have expanding out beyond that family. Because watching that, I'm like, I would go for this tonal exercise, this yep. change in audience, this change in format to half hour kids animation if it was still my characters and these new characters, I just frankly don't give a shit about. <laughs> well, I, I thank you so much for being here. My pleasure. I know, Truly I know you have uh, all sorts of recuperating to do. So I appreciate you taking all the time yeah, to, to right talk back into me. bed. But this was healing. <laughs> this was healing. <laughs> um, and we hope to have you back to talk about tie in movie toys. From, yes. Uh, long from long promise, but we're going to do that. whatever. Yeah. There's absolutely yeah. obviously no pressure, but thank you for taking the time. I know that, uh, you know, it's been a lot for you over the past uh, little bit, so I really do appreciate it. Look, thank you. Uh, this was, once again, uh, uh, self-care, really, to talk <laughs> about this this much. And I'm just so thankful that uh, as much as I'm now, thankfully, on the other end of a couple months mm-hmm. of, of scary health shit, that mm-hmm. the Fast and Furious franchise was able to get me through it. It was very good timing. Yes. yes. Well, and and I'm I'm also glad that the movie was good because I was fearful of, Phil, of quite frankly your emotional state. Phil, I would not. have lost my fucking <laughs> mind. I had nothing going for me. I was at such a rock bottom. If this movie were bad, I was going to really bottom out. Well, then everyone wins. Yep. Um, and we win for for having you back on to talk about this. So thank you so much, Chris. Of course. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.